This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. It's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's our second summer series. We did Harry Potter last summer. This year, we're stepping into the world of Middle-earth with The Lord of the Rings, Katie and Jenna. Hello, Jenna. How are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> Hi. Long time listener, first time podcaster. <laughs> Jenna is Katie's sister, uh, and she's going to be filling in as the role of the person who has not read the books because me and Katie both read them this okay. go around, mm-hmm. like we did with Harry Potter, uh, because I have already read these books. Yeah, and we have both already, we have both read, already them. read them at some point for EBC in our life. We needed somebody who hadn't, and Jenna. As is illiterate. Is illiterate. So, <laughs> so this will be great. Illiterate. Oh my God. <laughs> I liked your text, though. You tried to read it, and then you got to the Tom Bombadil part. Yeah. And tapped out. Yeah, well, because Katie showed me the movies. Um, I, it was a beautiful coming-of-age story. I think I was a freshman <laughs> in high school, and you're like, okay, I think it's time. <laughs> and we sat down, and I, I loved them. Um, I fell in love with them, and then I tried to read the book, and I was like, this is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different, which it's we will go in, yeah. in depth here over the course of this uh, next three hours. Yeah. But uh, it, uh, they are quite different. Um, so, yeah. But she's going to join us for our first uh, few segments here, which are sort of uh, movie watcher only segments. Yeah. And then she's going to bow out for the second half because we have literally eight pages of notes and she has to drive back out of Cape Girardeau. So. That's right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we're going to get into our first segment. Which I almost I I almost didn't put this segment in. Let me sum up because if you don't know vaguely the story of Lord of the Rings, I'm not sure why they would be listening to this episode of this yeah. podcast. Yeah. We normally do this with things if it's like some sort of obscure, you know, like. I mean, we didn't not, do this for Harry Potter at all. We did not at all. But we I don't know if we were doing we it yet doing at that it point. We were doing it as like a, a, a regular, a regular segment. segment. Uh, but yeah, we either do it for like smaller things or like, especially if it's like a book that nobody's heard of or right. something. But in this instance, most. but we're going to do it anyways. Katie, yeah. let's go. Yeah, I think, well, I'm uh, going to let you sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. The Dark Lord Sauron created a set of rings that gave great power to their owners, but they were all deceived. He also created one ring, a great ring, to rule the others. Sauron was ultimately defeated, and the one ring was lost for centuries, until by, young, until by chance a young hobbit-like creature found it. Eventually, the ring came to the ownership of Bilbo Baggins, who would pass it on to his nephew, Frodo Baggins. A great wizard, Gandalf, realizes the ring Frodo possessed is the One Ring, and sets Frodo out on a journey to destroy the ring. He is joined by men, elves, dwarves, 
and other hobbits on his adventures, and they get up to quite a bit of nonsense. There you go. That's roughly mm. the, what happens. Yeah, that's the, basic <laughs> that's the basic premise. The basic premise. You didn't say it quite right because you have to say, no, you're fine. But the, the first <laughs> sentence, I put it in specifically as, but they were all deceived. You have to say it like Kate <laughs> Blanchett from the beginning. <laughs> We could have just rolled her monitor. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, literally, honestly. I know. Yeah, that's kind of what I stole some of it from. I but feel the earth. <laughs> yeah. Get a little ASMR up yeah. here. Cape Blanchett ASMR oh would be. My God. She needs to corner that market yeah. quickly. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to our game show portion of the podcast, which is Guess Who? And we're going to put Jenna on the spot. So let's do it. Guess Who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right, Jenna, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. That's pretty par for the course. Characters, which, yeah, well, there's a lot of characters in this, and not a lot of them have descriptions. Yeah, that's true. And some of them don't have descriptions until three quarters of the way through the book. And it's like, oh, there's a description of Frodo, like, halfway through the book, and there wasn't one. (laughs) Interesting. He's been in it since the first chapter. But um, So we have six here. I'm going to jump around and read these, and then your job is to guess which movie character you think these descriptions Ah, apply to. Uh, they will only be movie characters. I'm not going to throw in descriptions of characters at all. Yeah, I was, I was real worried tough. about that. Like, <laughs> just, just guess random elf just, names. I'm going to say a bunch of consonants and hope that it's right. You should have just tossed be. Tom Bombadil <laughs> yeah, in there. True. Would, I probably would have. You yeah. might have got that one, yeah. He does have a, a pretty long description in the book. Mm-hmm. All right, so first one. Let's go with it. We'll go easy first. I think this one's pretty easy. An old man. He wore a tall, pointed blue hat, a long gray cloak, and a silver scarf. He had a long white beard and bushy eyebrows that stuck out beyond the brim of his hat. I didn't know Dumbledore was in this <laughs> We discussed no, that yeah. while we were watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's Gandalf. Yes. Uh, the one thing that stands out to me, obviously, is his hat is very much gray yeah. in the movie. Oh, yeah. he, they just go full gray because he's Gandalf the gray. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently in the book, it is a blue hat. Well, the hmm. silver scarf sounds pretty fabulous. Yeah, he's yeah. not wearing a scarf. I don't think he's wearing a scarf, at least that we see in the in the mm-hmm. movies. Um, I assume. I mean, because gray. If he had that that hat, could be like a bluish gray tint. Yeah. Like, but it's yeah. definitely not blue. It's de- <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> Gandalf the monochromatic. Yeah, he he is. We have a note later about Saruman, which. You miss out on uh, uh, Saruman the mini colored in the movie. Oh, no. Sauron could have been fabulous in the movie if they, <laughs> if <laughs> only they were had... brave. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next one. So one for one, killing it so far. That's probably That's maybe right. the easiest one. Slam dunk. Maybe. There's a, oh, we'll see. Uh, let's go to this one. A strange-looking, weather-beaten man sitting in the shadows near the wall. He was smoking a long-stemmed pipe, curiously carved. His legs were stretched out before him, showing high boots of supple leather <laughs> that fitted him well, but had seen much wear and were now caked with mud. A travel-stained cloak of heavy dark green cloth was drawn close about him, and in spite of the heat of the room, he wore a hood that overshadowed his face, but the gleam of his eyes could be seen as he watched them. Oh, well, that's got to be Strider. That is absolutely uh, the last king of men, Aragorn himself. Yeah, slash Strider. Slash Strider. Slash Elisar. Uh, Elisar. Uh, slash slash heir of the sealed door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the well, I, saw, I heard weather beaten, and I was like, yep. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that pretty much. Uh, and, and I will, if you think about that, per, that particular description, um, 
I have a segment or this. I had this description later in my uh, the movie nailed it segment because the first time we see him in the film sitting in the bar, yeah. it is you it's like that. it is yeah. that it yeah. is I mean, exactly I can, I can yeah you can see it in, see it in, in your head. Um, it's spot um, on. I love the description of his boots though. Yeah, because they sound like sexy boots. Yeah, supple leather <laughs> that fit him well. <laughs> see those defined calves. I mean, he walks a lot. It's he is a true. ranger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, two for two. Uh, let's go to, I don't know if any of these are going to be hard. Um, let's try this one. This one, yeah, I'll get this one. There's, the, <laughs> there's not too many female characters in these books. Um, yeah. uh, young she was, and yet not so. The braids of her dark hair were touched by no frost. Her white arms and clear face were flawless and smooth, and the light of stars was in her bright eyes, gray as a cloudless night. Yet queenly she looked. And... Th- Oh, sorry. I jumped a line. Yet queenly she looked, and thought and knowledge were in her glance. Above her brow, her head was covered with a cap of silver lace, netted with small gems, glittering white. But her soft gray raiment had no ornament save a girdle of leaves wrought in silver. See, because at first I was like, that's definitely Arwen. Because, I mean... But then you kept going. I was like, well, Gladriel's also a woman in this. That's true. <laughs> One of the two, I think, but, <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. But I think I think they would have kept Galadriel blonde because, like, all the elves are blonde as far as I know. Like, Well, except oh, the one uh, Matrix. <laughs> What's his name? Matrix? <laughs> oh, 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 Hugo Weaving? Yeah. Uh, Elrond? Yeah. <laughs> Agent Smith, yeah. Yeah, it's like... Uh, that's just, I think Lord of the Rings is just another Matrix simulation that True. he's in. It could be. It very well could be. So I'm going to go with Arwen. That is correct. Yeah, so okay. Right. The dark hair. Yeah, the she dark is hair the helps. only, well, not the only one, because like you said, Elrond, but, uh, which I will, well, I don't know. But um, anyways, yeah, she's one of the only elves that has dark hair. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that depends on where they're from, though. Like woodland um, elves or certain elves have certain yeah, blonde hair and other. Uh, like all of the. Lothlorien elves are blonde, I think. Or well, like Elrond's not. Them. Or sorry, Lothlorien, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, I think. Which I is where Galadriel's from, is, yeah. oh, okay. is the Lothlorien woods. I'm just throwing words in <laughs> <laughs> um, But yes, that was Arwen, so you're three for three. Uh, this is a nice short one. A stout little fellow with red cheeks, taller than some and fairer than most, and he has a cleft in his chin, perky chap with a bright eye. Sounds like you're describing me. <laughs> I'm confused. Well, if it sounds like me, then it's probably Samwise Gamgee, right? Uh, no, this is the first miss. It's Frodo. It's oh, close. Yeah. Because um, you know you're right, though. Listening to that, it does sound a little more like Frodo or like Sam, the uh, a stout little fellow. Because Frodo's not particularly yeah. stout in the movie. No, he's, no. he's a little bit lankier. Yeah, for a hobbit. Uh, Sam, yeah. Sam's got a little more weight on him, but mm-hmm. uh, no. Um, and the red cheeks, you know, sort of that innocent like yeah, Samwise. He almost sounds like a. Like a Keebler elf yeah. in this description. Yeah. Which is not super far off. But yeah. um, and to be fair, this isn't a description from Tolkien. This is a description. This is an interesting one because it's the only description of Frodo in this book. But it's from Gandalf to the barman. The barman. Uh, the, <laughs> this is how Gandalf describes Frodo to the barman at the Prancing Pony so that he recognizes him when he comes in. 
huh. the book. Huh. I don't uh, know how I'd feel about that if my friends were going around to bartenders being like, listen, this red cheek bitch is going to come Stout here. little fellow. <laughs> He's a stout little okay, fellow. Okay, I get it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but that, that, is, that is Gandalf's description of Frodo. So uh, three for four so far. We have two more. Let's go with this one next. Um, a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark-haired and gray-eyed, proud and stern of glance. He was cloaked and booted as if for a journey on horseback, and indeed, though his garments were rich and his cloak was lined with fur, they were stained with long travel. He had a collar of silver in which a single white stone was set. His locks were shorn about his shoulders. On a baldric, he wore a great horn tipped with silver that now is laid upon his knees. If I leave out that last line, it's a little yeah, bit tougher. That last yeah, line. Yeah, <laughs> the last line, I was like, okay, so Boromir's here. Yeah, <laughs> that is Boromir. I couldn't leave that out. It felt like cheating to leave out. Yeah. That's definitely part of his description, but... Yeah. Um, before that, it's a little tougher. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, it, if I had done that... It's just that, a white man, otherwise. It could be Aragorn. It yeah. could be... Yeah. It could be a, a handful of people that make an appearance. But as it is with the horn, pretty much could only be Boromir. Uh, unless there was other people in the book. Like, unless the other people that came with him from Gondor had horns with them. Yeah. But they're not named in the movie, so... Yeah. Yeah, I think there's he only one of the two. the horn. Yeah. It's the horn of Gondor. Gondor, so... All right. Last one. His face was ageless, neither old nor young, though in it it was written the memory of many things both glad and sorrowful. Sorrowful. Not sourful. <laughs> sorrowful. Yeah, he'd just eaten a lemon. His hair was dark as the shadows of twilight, and upon it was set a circlet of silver. His eyes were gray. A lot of gray eyes in this. Yeah. Like, everybody has yeah. gray eyes. He's obsessed with gray eyes. His eyes were gray as a clear evening, and in them was a light like the light of stars. And again, that's the like, second or third time he's used that description, too. Yeah. Uh, venerable, he seemed, as a king crowned with many winters, and yet hale as a tried warrior in the fullness of his strength. Well... It's so romanticized. I think it's got to be an elf. And uh, not a lot of men elves, especially with dark hair. So I think we're back to our good friend, uh, Elrond. That is, in yeah. fact, Elrond. Yeah. Uh, who is several thousand years old. I think Legolas is also about that age, though, even though he looks a lot younger. Is he I'm, supposed to be? I'd have to double check this, but I've always thought you could see him in the... Oh, not that this means for sure that it's accurate, but mm -hmm. in the opening battle mm -hmm. in the in the prologue or whatever in the movie, I swear you can see Legless for like a shot. Yeah. It looks like him to me, um, which would mean he's about the same. Or, yeah, about but the same. I don't know for sure. I'm sh I could have looked that up and known for sure. But anyways, yes, that is Elrond. So five for six. Not too bad. Nice. A lot of them have little, because the movie does pretty accurately portray all yeah, of the, the people. Yeah, the movie is yeah. pretty spot on for a lot of these. Yeah. That's good. Just like little changes here and there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that was it for Guess Who. Let's move on to Was That in the Book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Jenna has uh, several questions for us about mm -hmm. particular things that she wants to know if they take place in the book or if they're just fabricated for the movie. I'll turn it over to you, Jenna. Yeah. First one. Well, and most of these, I will be very disappointed if they're not in the book. <laughs> Um, first one, the wizard duel between Gandalf and Saruman. No. <laughs> it's not in the book. We do get a recounting of Gandalf's encounter with Saruman, okay. uh, but they don't do battle. 
that was fabricated. I remember about that particular battle that that one best fight scene in the 2001 VMA, not VMAs, oh <laughs> MTV, like, MTV Movie Awards. It's like, wow, they really are. The, the 2001. I imagine, now I'm imagining that fight set to like Limp Biscuit or something. Crawling in. Yeah, like, like or, uh, Lincoln Park. Well, That'd you're going to have an AMV coming your uh, way. Yeah, real that's quick. fantastic. Uh, um,. But no, uh, uh, but it did win best fight at uh, like the music video or the MTV Movie Awards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the one where I gave away huh. the popcorn and Spaceman guy. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but so he talks about going to confront Saruman, but we do not see if there's no fight. They just argue for a bit. And then he basically is peacefully detained. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> he's held in contempt. Yeah, and uh, he's, he is taken to the top of the tower. So okay. he doesn't get hurled there through magic, as far as mm-hmm. we know in the book. Mm-hmm. It is not described that way. So, unfortunately, I mean, no we are dual. getting a, a secondhand account of that. So maybe Gandalf was just embarrassed. Yeah, he left that out. It is yeah. Gandalf yeah. telling that story uh, at the Council of Elrond instead of us seeing it, you know, yeah. described. Yeah. So it is possible that he was like, got his ass kicked like he did <laughs> and was like, like oh, I no. just was like, no, I'll come with you. I'll do it. <laughs> You say. <laughs> I mean, even in the movie, he he doesn't say anything to Frodo. He's like, I was delayed. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It's true. That is true. Next one. What do you got? Nobody throws a dwarf, and then the and then they... <laughs> the concurrent beard grab. <laughs> uh, alas. Not in, the, not in the book. At least not in this book. Not in this okay, book. It could show up it in could, a later book. I should have prefaced book. everything we're about to talk about. We just have read, me and Kitty have both just reread The Fellowship of the Ring, and yeah. I do not remember anything, basically, from the next two books, even though I read them 10 or 15 years ago. So there's anything we say that is not in this or that we think has changed or whatever could happen in a later book. Yeah, that, we're talking mm-hmm. strictly about Fellowship yeah. right now. Okay. Yeah, and that does not occur in uh fellowship in fact that whole sequence where they're running downstairs and it's i mean yeah, the, the minds of moria chase happens but there's no but no like, like breaking stairs no. stairs oh. and then teeter-tottering none of that none of that that's all added for the movie um yeah. and the tossing a dwarf which i originally was going to have that in uh better in the book because i didn't i don't like that particular segment the tear the chair uh stair teeter-totter segment but I, I i will accept it for the line nobody tosses a dwarf and so that we get the subsequent in the two towers yes. line of you'll have to toss me. They pay, that off. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, pay it off so great. great. And I, I'm willing to accept that sequence mm-hmm. just so you'll have to toss me. I cannot jump the distance. <laughs> yeah, I hope uh, in the final battle then in the final book that uh, he at some point some gets, points gets tossed. Across the <laughs> yeah, one can hope. All right, next one. You shall not pass <laughs> um we're gonna give you an elven answer on this oh my god yes and also no <laughs> that's a book okay. reference but uh they um uh th- it does happen that whole scene happens and it's almost identical to the book um the, the battle with the Bal- balrog balrog mm-hmm. however you want to say it mm-hmm. um but he never utters the exact words you shall not pass really? We'll talk about it more later. We'll mention what he does say now just so you know so you're not left wondering. He says oh. you cannot pass instead yeah. of you shall That's not pass. not as... And we have that in a later <laughs> segment okay. Okay. that we're going to talk about, uh, which one we prefer. Um, but that uh, he says you cannot pass, basically, in place of you shall not pass in the movie. So that's... Hmm. But other than that, that seems like identical from the from the book, pretty All much. Right. All, right. All right. Next one, what do you got? The Arwen horse chase 
Oh, yes. So the f- the flight to the Ford yeah. running from the, the ring wraiths, uh, that does happen. Okay. But Arwen is not involved. Thank <laughs> you. No. <laughs> so also, yes and no. Um, the horse chase happens, but it's just Frodo on the horse. Oh, uh, the no, change, the yeah. big change they make here is that uh, I think it's kind of common knowledge that Arwen's story is kind of added to these movies. Mm, it's part yeah. of the original books, kind of. It's part of the appendices, and it's mentioned in the prologue and several times in the book, but it's not mm-hmm. a major factor in the book. Okay. Um, yeah. And so she doesn't play a major role. She just no, kind of shows up. We see her in the book. We never hear her speak. What? We see her, like, across the room twice. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. No. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so she she does... Um, uh, but the, the horse does show up. It's the same horse. It's Asphaloth, but it's ridden by uh, Glorfindel. Glorfindel. Glorfindel, who's a different I don't know. elf. The the audiobook I listened to, the guy pronounced it Glorfindel. Glorfindel. So, so Glorfindel. anyways, uh, this, this dude elf rides up and does the same thing, basically. But uh. then at one point, he puts. They're, they're kind of traveling for a while. He puts Frodo on the horse and then hits. When the ring rates show up, he's like, go. And he yeah. stops to, like, try to draw the ring oh. rates away or whatever. Um, and Frodo just rides the horse. Also, a slight change in the book. Frodo's not like on death's door. Oh, this okay, whole that, time. Was, yeah. that was yeah. my next question. I was like, is he messed no. out of his mind? No. In the book? He's kind of getting weak, but he is not uh, like, remotely like comatose and like like he is in the movie. He's um he's able to ride a horse and he he actually like gives a speech on in this moment and that sort of he basically kind of oh. does what Arwen does, except it's Frodo doing it, yeah. kind of. He calls um, yeah. upon elf gods and things. So yeah. is he? So subsequent, subsequent mm-hmm. question. Yeah, go um, for it. Does he summon the the horse water? <laughs> no. Is there horse water in the, the book? There is there horse is. water. Okay. Um, but he doesn't summon it. I, is that in Lost in Adaptation? I feel, or I have it in a later segment. Um, but no, he. Uh, so he doesn't summon the horse water. Uh, Elrond does. Yeah. Oh, okay. Basically, it's like a defense mechanism of the valley, and Elrond summons it. Uh, and Gandalf that. adds a little bit in. Actually, the horses that you see in the book are uh, Gandalf's, Gandalf's doing. doing. He adds oh, his own little two cents okay. in. Okay. Um, but it's Elrond that does it. I like making Arwen do it. Again, we'll talk about that in later yeah. segments. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, Arwen, yeah, it's Frodo. He just kind of stands there and then does nothing. He's like, go away. And they're like, no. And they break his sword and then they come after him. And then Elrond <laughs> saves his ass. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, next one. Okay, this is the one that I've just, I put all the chips on the table, is the cutest moth I have ever seen in my life in the book. No. <laughs> so this is where the recording stops. Um, it's not in the book, but so it is connecting, it's implying a connection to a scene in the book. Uh, it's kind of complicated, but in the mm-hmm. book, Gandalf meets up with Radagast the Brown, which I don't know if you've seen the Hobbit yeah, films. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Radagast is him. in this book. Um, and Gandalf meets up with him, who tells him to go talk to Saruman, basically, which is yeah. why he goes to see Saruman. Radagast doesn't know that Saruman Saruman's has evil. Oh, okay. um, so he goes and sees, he runs into Radagast. Radagast is like, hey, Saruman wants to talk to you. Go see him. He goes to see him. But before he leaves, he tells Radagast, hey, we want the enemies doing stuff. Send your little animal friends out to spy on on, on and see what they're doing. Hmm. Um, and then so after he gets captured, uh, Gandalf gets captured at Orthanc at, or uh, Isengard, um, one of the uh, Radagast sends one of the eagles 
to Orthanc to tell Gandalf, hey, here's what the enemy's doing, basically, to report what they found. And when the eagle gets there, he finds Gandalf on top of the tower and saves him. Now, I think the implication in the movie is that when he grabs the moth and talks to it, is that he's sending it to Radagast to send help because Radagast is like the nature wizard mm-hmm. and he like is friends with all the well, animals yeah. and whatnot he's so relatable like he's got rats in his hair yeah. and he's bird dirty. shit all over his oh, head yeah, yeah. um but yeah so I, it, it's tied to that uh but there's no i so i do like the moth i think it works um the the scene it's completely they kind of shortcut a lot of it in the mm-hmm. book in the movie basically by kind of just cutting out radagast who was we yeah. mentioned in the prequel originally going to be in the film yeah um, they had that yeah, probably that scene, like I guess, an earlier, script, an earlier yeah. version of the script. He was in it, but they, they ended up cutting him out. So they had to kind of figure out a way around that. All right. Last one okay, for was that in the book? Yeah. Or did you have a follow up? Yeah, the final one. Um, was the Kraken thing uh, outside Moria a part of that? Or was that another like, we got to put in some water monsters because it's 2000. Yep. Uh, this is, yeah, right. What? Right after uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. So. Or before? I, I don't know. Before, right, right before, maybe. yeah, yeah, maybe. Because mm-hmm. he, uh, uh, Legolas went from that. Orlando Bloom went from this right into pirates. And this was, might be why he got the pirates. Or role, vice versa, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but the Kraken Lake monster, Katie. Surprisingly, <laughs> it is in the book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's one I didn't think was gonna. <laughs> it happened, and it ha- and it plays out exactly the same that it really? does in yeah. the in the movie. They they they're uh, although the only difference is Boromir is the one who throws the rock into the of lake in the book, is. whereas in the in the in the movie it's the hobbits. It's like Pippin mm-hmm, and Merry yeah. doing it. Uh, in the book, it's uh, Boromir who mm-hmm. throws the rock Ruining in everything, uh, oh, and then of it, it, is. it comes out and uh, attacks them. Uh, although there's the other slight difference, it's not a big deal. But they're they're not they go into the mines in the movie, and then they're like, we got to get out of here. And then the monster forces them to kind of run into the mines. Yeah. That's not how it happens in the book. They're just they're gonna go through the mines anyways, and then the monster attacks them, and then they have no choice regardless. But they were never gonna like run away, at least from my memory. So um, but I, we were talking about this when we were watching the movie. We were like, if there's one thing in this whole movie that like. You would if you had never read the books that you're gonna put down money of like this is probably like made up for the movie right that's the it's one probably out of yeah everything. <laughs> yeah the giant squid cracking sea monster that just shows up out of this lake in the mountains <laughs> what's what is going on all right but yeah no it, it uh it is absolutely from the book all right that was uh, that's it for was that in the book so we're gonna move on to lost in adaptation just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. And we actually, the first time, not the first time, but the Lord of the Rings uh, quote soundbite just played, and it's finally a Lord of the Rings episode, because it's the uh, Bilbo talking Mm -hmm. about being lost in the mine, or in the mountain. All right, so uh, I actually have my own questions. I think I put mine at the end. I did. Okay, so Jenna has a bunch of questions, though, that we're going to get into that just kind of for us to expound upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get more information, so I'm gonna let you go for it. Yeah, I think the first thing that I thought of when watching the movie was: Does the book go into more detail as to why, like hobbits specifically, they're the race that can really handle the ring's influence, at least for long periods of time? Um, not specifically. At least not that I remember anything yeah. specific. And maybe there's maybe something in a later in the book appendixes that, or, or yeah, who knows? Um, but not in this book. There's not anything specific. But I think the implication is that they're like purer of heart and character okay um like they they live really simple lives they don't crave power 
so they have no real desire to use the ring to attain more power, so therefore sure. it like holds less of a sway over them. Yeah, I kind of suspected that's what it was. Cause, yeah. I mean, they introduced the hobbits being like, they like to get high and yeah. fish. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so. eat food. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and also it's implied a little bit at times that the more power, just the more powerful a person is, the more the ring. It's like a feedback loop. Yeah. kind of thing oh, okay. of like the more powerful or the more um, ambitious a person is the more the ring feeds that emotion and then makes yeah. them okay, so like having this a hob- is why it, yeah. it Boromir which is why yeah. it affects him so much and so quickly okay. even though he's not actually carrying it yeah because mm-hmm. he is you know he had, he he's he's already a very powerful guy he, yeah. he but he also wants to help you know, a lot of it's rooted in good, emo- you know, emotionally good things of trying to help his people and defend his kingdom and that sort of thing. But he he desires that power, the power to be able to do that, yeah, right. and so it, it kind of feeds on him a lot more. Um, but uh, yeah, the hobbits they just want to hang out. They just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, <laughs> like whenever I watch this franchise, I'm just like. Man, I wish, you know, like, oh, wouldn't it be so great to be an elf? But in reality, I'm just oh, a yeah. hobbit. hobbit. I'm a dirty little hobbit. <laughs> yo ho, yo ho, a hobbit. Yeah. yeah, for me. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next question. All right. Next question. Um, are there more female roles slash characters in the books, or did the movies kind of beef up the women's characters? And I put in, uh, in parentheses, aka, why are there only like three women in this whole franchise? Um. um there's, I think there's arguably fewer female characters in the book, yeah. or at least maybe not fewer female characters, but they have less to do. Yeah, they're the at least in this diminished. book again. Right, not going into future books. Um, like we said, Arwen makes an appearance in this book, but she doesn't have a line. Mm-hmm. She's just yeah. kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's also uh, a, um, a Gladriel in this one, yeah. and then that's kind of it. Yeah, I'm thinking There's, like because Rosie's not a character. No, she's in, not the the little Hobbit girl that Sam has. Yeah. A crush but again, on. She's not, not in the book. She's not doing much in the movie. Oh, she's not. But <laughs> no, at least not in. The, she may show she, up at the she, end, yeah. like in the uh, final. I, I, was, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they mention her at the end. Yeah. Like, oh, it's one of those like, and then the, Rosie and yeah. Sam, li- and you're like, who the fuck yeah, is Rosie? maybe yeah, but she's not mentioned at all in this one um, yeah. that I recall. Um, but uh, Tolkien, it was he's he yeah. a dude, bro. It's the 1940s when he what. 50s yeah. when he wrote these um I, I also think there's something to be not something to be said uh try to figure out how to word it like he's try it's a product of his time but he's also writing a traditionally like uh, stories about he's writing folklore for like england and he's mm. basing it on like tales of knights of old yeah. and stuff which you know traditionally female yeah. roles didn't yeah. have didn't weren't uh portrayed as Probably they probably were portrayed as less uh, women in those times. Are probably not probably absolutely portrayed uh, less often than they were actually <laughs> relevant. <Right. laughs> but right, yeah. but but regardless, he's kind of going off you know sort of the, the those kind of tales, and I think right. So that yes, inspires. Yeah, if you his, look at the folklore that he's pulling from, um, the kind of boxes that he categorizes his female characters into are unsurprising. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. got Arwen, who in the book functions as kind of like a lady fair who sits and waits at home for her handsome knight to come back from the epic yeah. quest. We've got Galadriel who functions as kind of a, a prophetess. Yeah. Sort of a role. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in Two Towers, we have our one 
like interesting female <laughs> warrior yeah. mm-hmm. with uh, Aowen. Aowen, yeah, which I believe she's in the books and plays yes. a similar role as like yes. a shield oh, okay. maiden type. But well, she she's not a shield maiden. She I think she does do a similar thing where she like kind of sneaks into battle basically. Yeah. But she I pulls don't remember. if I'm remembering. Right. Yeah, she yeah. pulls him along. Um, because those kind of characters do exist yeah. in folk- folklore. They're just sure. few and far between. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a knights of the round table. Yeah. Retailing, yeah. Yeah. It could to some extent, and I and and so it's. It's one of those things where it's yeah you wish there were more because it would it would just be more interesting but it yeah. is, but you I I understand why mm-hmm. it, but you know it's not ideal <laughs> it's not ideal all right next question okay um this was just like a kind of weird one when they first encounter uh, Aragorn he just pulls out a bunch of like little elvish blades for them. <laughs> And then I noticed, I was like, well, he doesn't even have one himself. <laughs> so what's going on? He reminded me of the trench coat kid from Recess. <laughs> just like, like, you know. Yeah. Pull out all these knives. You'll want to buy a sword? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I just didn't know if uh, there was any, you know, expanding on that in the book as to why he was just kind of carrying around a suitcase full of little <laughs> miniature swords. Um, there is not. All right. Um, it's, this is not in the book. Uh, the hobbits do end up getting swords, but they get them from an encounter with a Barrow White. Which is one of the cut chapters after they're after they meet up with Tom Bombadil. Oh. They go through this area called the Barrow Downs, and yeah. they run into this white, which is like this spirit type of ghost yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like a nasty spirit ghosty. <laughs> yeah, that oh, like okay. hoards like treasure, basically, yeah. or has a hoard of treasure. I don't... It's a little... Uh, convoluted and written exactly <laughs> what it is is not one hundred percent clear in my opinion. In my opinion, so I, probably <clears throat> why they cut it out. Yeah, right? I think yeah. it's one of the reasons. Um, and it also those couple chapters don't overall don't affect the overall story very much uh, yeah. that they're trying to tell. Yeah. But um, and the reason they're hobbit sizes, they're not actually swords. They're uh, like daggers, basically yeah. for like men, mm-hmm. and then they end up being roughly hobbit sized <laughs> swords, essentially. Yeah. Um, like, I believe that's yeah. the same case with Sting, I think, is that it was, like, a some sort of dagger or, like, small sword or something yeah. that ends yeah. up being, like, a sword for a hobbit. Um, that's cute. But, yeah, so they get them from a completely different place. So the movie, and the movie just, like, he's just he's, got these swords. He's, <laughs> he's got these four daggers for some reason. So okay. there you go. All right. Okay. Um, does the book have, like, an in-depth timeline? Uh, just because I know that Bilbo's birthday is in September, but then whenever he's with, whenever Frodo goes to the elves and is being healed, they say that it's like the end of, it's like the 24th of October or something. So I just didn't know if in the book it explained whether that was like a couple of weeks, if that was a full year. Um, so so here's where it gets really complicated. Yeah. All right. So, well, not really complicated, but a little, a little, definitely a bit complicated. So in the movie, I think they're going, for my guess, if I had to guess and what most people speculate, because I was kind of looking into this, is that most people think it's probably the next year, October of the next year because okay. it seems like Gandalf has been gone for at least several weeks if not months mm-hmm. when he comes back to Frodo yeah. um, uh, after Bilbo after he gives him the ring and everything and says keep it secret uh, in the book it's a much longer time uh, Frodo leaves exactly 17 years <laughs> <Yo>, after <what? laughs> <laughs> Wait. so Bilbo is or Bilbo or when Bilbo turns and this is not mentioned in the movies either is that it's both Bilbo and Frodo's birthday they share a birthday there. oh yeah um, yeah, and they don't mention that in the movie for some reason. Uh, but when Bilbo turns 111, Frodo turns 33. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, he's old, much older than you expect. Well, they live a long time, so they're kind of like that's right. That's true. Like how the ages would kind of match up. Yeah, I think that's could, yeah. yeah. But so they so he uh, so when Bilbo leaves on his 111th birthday, 
And then exactly sit, like Gandalf comes and goes a few times mm-hmm. over the course of the next 17 years. And then eventually when on his 50th birthday, Frodo sets out on Bilbo's birthday or on their their birthday 17 years later. Hobbits love birthdays. Wow, this is really not what I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Bilbo, or Frodo is 50, actually, in the books, whereas in the movie, people speculate that it's a year later, so he's probably 34. I actually found a pretty interesting timeline graphic on one of the Wikipedias that we'll probably post on Facebook or something that has, like, the dates of when people did things in the movie versus the book. Mm, Kind of, some of it's speculation, but it kind of helps clear up when how long this story takes place over and that sort of thing. This is, I'm sorry, this is just sending me in a tailspin. Because now I'm thinking, like, the Nazgul were, like, on their asses. And then they're like, we're going to chill for 17 years and, like, not worry about it. Well, no, because they're, because he, so they, the the Nazgul hadn't even, in in the books, the Nazgul aren't even out or looking yet when Bilbo's birthday happens. When he leaves. Now, I don't remember, that may, in the movie, they may, put those together yeah, they, they they do. Yeah. yeah so in the book that hasn't we the the nazgul aren't out looking yet gotcha. gandalf okay. kind of is still figuring out what's going on with the ring and he keeps checking in with frodo to make sure he has it then going to do research and going to do other things and, and blah 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 and then eventually towards the end of that like after those 17 years when uh gandalf shows up he's like hey i found Gollum. you need to leave because Gollum told them about the shire and stuff yeah. Um, and so you need to get out of here because the the ring race are coming. But he still okay. doesn't leave for like another month. <laughs> yeah, he's chilling. No, they're really they're hobbits. They just yeah. take their time with everything. Yeah, um, and a, the the lot of the journeying too, like the time yeah. that they are traveling. I, I mean, and it's hard to tell in a movie a little bit because they yeah. montage, montage it. it. Right. But what's in, what was interesting in the book, something that I had not remembered from yeah. my first read, was that they do quite frequently say what day it is yeah. or like how long they've been. <laughs> it's so a big like, thing that and it Tolkien was the, does. It was the tenth day of their journey. Yeah. He, t- he likes to timestamp a lot of stuff so that you know yeah. how long, and then he also describes a lot of locations so you know both how long and where they're going. It's the reason he has maps and everything, so you can kind yeah. of yeah. follow the journey in your head um but everything they do in the book or it takes place over a lot longer time pretty much than it does in the movie like they're at they're at uh rivendell for like months or like several months which in the movie it's implied like at least a couple weeks probably but um and and the trek from point a to point b is like yeah. A month or two, where and in the movie it seems in, like uh, uh, maybe a few days or something. They're in Lothlorien for a while. They're in Lothlorien the for too. weeks or something yeah. like that. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that the movie, it's hard to tell how long they're somewhere because they yeah. don't they don't say it a lot like yeah. they do in the books. Yeah. Um, which would it would be awkward if every time they got somewhere they're like, well, we've been walking for <laughs> ten, but in a book with a with a voice, yeah. you know, with a narrator kind of thing, it's it, it makes a little bit more sense. Man, so. can you believe it's already the seventeenth of March <laughs> yeah. at eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, next question is: Is Frodo and Sam's relationship as strong or stronger in the book? Uh, pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, they're the I, to me they they I think the the movie captures pretty well mm-hmm. uh, Sam's attachment to Frodo. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. The, their friendship is one of the things that the movie captures really well. Yeah, that okay. I think even people who had like sort of problems with elements that they changed in the movie, I would think that that would be one of the things that they thought the movies did a good job. If I had yeah. to guess yeah. without mm-hmm. knowing, um, because it does come across very similarly, and they have a lot of similar dialogue with each other. 
Um, and their motivations are the same, basically. Like, mm-hmm. some of the motivations yeah. for some of the characters change from book to movie. Like, Aragorn changes a lot and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, their their two characters are pretty much spot on. At least to me, seem pretty much spot on yeah, from the books. So. pretty steady. Okay. All right, yeah. Okay. Um, the next question is, did Bilbo really turn into literally the scariest <laughs> jump scare of my young adult life? Or was that just, like, in Frodo's head? I... I think he did, because it's implied, something very similar is implied in the book. Yes. Um, I'll let you talk for a second, Katie, while I try to find this. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he, there is something similar that's implied in the book. It's not quite as, like, jump-scary as, I mean, reading it. No, yeah, it's not, not jump-scare necessarily. But, but. I do want to say that, hot take here, this is the most successful jump-scare in the history <laughs> of film. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I haven't yeah. even seen all of the jump scares, but I know that this one is the most successful. <laughs> In my heart of hearts. Because if you had not seen this movie, there is absolutely no fucking way you would ever see that no. coming. No, not, not in at a all. million years. Yeah, that's still one. The out of all the jump scares I've seen, that one and then the the old homeless woman from Mulholland Drive are the only two where I like cannot <laughs> look at the screen. Uh, <laughs> what about Mad Marge from? Okay, <laughs> I think my brain repressed that so deep that I didn't even think about it. Wasn't that her name, Mad Marge, or whatever from uh, Large Pee-wee's Marge? Bit? Large Marge. Marge. Yeah. That's it. And she looked like this. <laughs> that always terrified me. Yeah. All right, I found the page. It's 280 if you're reading along at home. Let's see if I can find well, it. Well, in your edition, it is. In my, it's true. Uh, yeah, this is mm-hmm. a, an old, this is like from the 60s. Well, I should just like to see it for a moment, said Bilbo. When he had dressed, Frodo found that while he slept, the ring had been hung around about his neck on a new chain, light but strong. Slowly, he drew it out. Bilbo put out his hand, but Frodo quickly drew back the ring. To his distress and amazement, he found that he was no longer looking at Bilbo. A shadow seemed to have fallen between them, and though it, and through it, he found himself eyeing a little, wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony, groping hands. He felt a desire to strike him. Oh. To me, that the yeah. movie captures that yeah. visual yeah. of... Now, again... The book, it's sort of implied that maybe that's just Frodo seeing that, the mm-hmm. ring kind of making him see that, and yeah. the same for, could be said for the movie, sure. but that is what you know Frodo sees in that moment, uh, and the, I think the movie pretty much knows yeah. that. So. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was just like a, we're going to do a Hollywood jump scare, and, or nope. if it was... Nope. Okay. Nope. Again, right. well, the, the jump scare part of it, sure. a little, yeah. but yeah. Bony, groping <laughs> hands, huh? Yep. Um, okay, next question is, does the book say why Boromir goes to Rivendell and why he's at the council in the first place? <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's one of my favorite changes from the book. Uh, so the reason Boromir goes to the council in the book is because he and his brother Faramir, that you'll remember mm-hmm. from later films, had an evil dream omen. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's actually why they're there, why Boromir is there. Um, they, he says he had a dream and I can't remember the exact wording, but he says Faramir had a dream about something yeah. creepy hap- about some weird death. And I wish I had, I don't have the page in for this. The he, Faramir has a weird dream about something in like Rivendell or something. And then Boromir has the exact same dream, like the next night. And he's like, well, I gotta go figure out what this is about. And then he just leaves. Just and goes, leaves. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what happens in the, oh, in no. the book. And then it's interesting because, 
in the in the book, they all pretty much everybody there has come for like their own reasons. Like Gimli's yeah. there to discuss like Moria, like not well Gimli and his father. Gloin's the main reason, and Gimli's just kind of there because he's with his dad, mm-hmm. um, who Gloin is in the movie, but he's never addressed or anything. Yeah. Uh, he's the white haired dwarf with Gimli. Um, okay. But in the movie, everyone's called to the council, which I yeah. think makes more that sense makes to me. Way more yeah. sense. In the book, it's just kind of like super convenient that they all happened to be there yeah, for their like, own so reasons did, at the oh, same shit. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you guys are all here at the perfect time. We yeah. got this ring just showed up. It's like <laughs> I see that the bad dream omen works. Like. <laughs> yeah. Unless that's it. Yeah, yeah. Unless that's it. Next time I have a bad dream, I'm calling you. Listen, <laughs> don't I, don't call. Just come <laughs> here. <laughs> gotta ch- just you gotta show check up. and see if you had the same one and then <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Um are these yours? Oh, these are, yeah, yeah, so that was it. So then, yeah, that's true. So now I I had a couple questions I just want to discuss because I wasn't sure when reading the book, and I want to clarify with you, Katie, if you got the same thing, that Arwen, because this is not mentioned in the movie, I don't think, Mm -mm. that Arwen is Galadriel's granddaughter. I believe that is correct. Okay, because at one point Aragorn mentions that she set brought forth into the world and he names some elf lady and then Arwen. And I assume it's that's her mother. mother, And then Arwen being her granddaughter. Um, and then she gives in the book, she gives us, uh, Galadriel gives Aragorn a pendant or a pen, yes. uh, in the movie, it's like a necklace. Mm-hmm. And is that, do you think that's the same pendant, uh, the Ellis, uh, the light of the, uh, whatever the heck it, Arwen says? I mean, I don't know, but I think it is supposed to be the same thing. Like I would yeah. guess. And in the movie, I would assume because of the extended scene, in the movie, in the extended version, Galadriel sees it and mentions, oh, yeah. you already have the best, something yeah. about like the best gift or whatever that you could ask for because it's her daughter's heart, basically, yeah. essentially, is what it kind of represents. Or, or her granddaughter's, yeah. It, it is, in the movie at least, implied that it's also the case that when, when she does that, I don't know how much of that symbolic versus actually the case yeah. that she's giving up her, her sort of... Uh, However long elves live, four thousand year life, uh, by giving him that the star, or if it's just sort of implied that because when she does that, she'll live amongst men and then she'll never go to the Grey Havens. Like I don't yeah. know, somebody who's more versed in Tolkien lore might be able yeah. to explain that to me, uh, or maybe we'll get more of it in later books. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting, and I, I think you're right. The note you have is that it's a massive improvement in the movie having Arwen give. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I mean, to him. especially because like I mentioned that Arwen kind of. In the book, she fills this role of, like, the Lady Fair waiting yeah. for her knight. And it makes way more sense to have her give Aragorn yeah. her colors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her token. Yeah. Here's my granddaughter's life force. <laughs> yeah. Use it well. See, and that that's one of the things that other ma- that makes me think that that whole idea of it, like, being tied to, like, her, like, uh, immortality. Mm-hmm. She's not immortal, but that sort of thing is more of a movie thing. Because yeah. in the book, the grandmother gives it to her and just gives it to Aragorn. It's just like a here. It would be weird if the grandmother was, although maybe not entirely <laughs> unfounded yes. given... You know how societies where you're giving away your daughter type. You know what yeah, I mean. That's true. I yeah, guess true. that could make sense. But anyways, I think the movie's version of that's better. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then the last one I had, and you looked this up a little bit, Katie, because this confused me constantly. Um, and again, this is something that somebody has read the Cimmerillion or something might know better. But uh, are goblins different than orcs in the Tolkien universe and Middle Earth? Or are they just like a um, nickname for orcs? I, I did the most basic precursory glance. Okay. 
Because somebody's going to be upset about this. That Um, knows, or not upset, but is going to be like, no, you're wrong. I think they're the same thing. Um, Tolkien calls them goblins in The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, But, like, based on what I looked at, it seemed like he kind of, like, flipped back and forth and used them kind of interchangeably. Because in the movies, that's what happens as well, it seems like. Because when they're in the Mines of Moria, Legolas picks up that arrow and he goes, goblins. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, what... Are, are goblins like orcs that live in and it, before, when I had never read the books or knew anything else when I'd just seen the movies I always assumed that goblins were like a specific different ver- like species like quote unquote yeah. and they're the ones that like crawl all over the ceilings yeah, yeah yeah like they're I like the more bug like ones goblins were spidery <laughs> yeah <orcs>. yeah <laughs> I literally thought that and that the orcs were just kind of more normal and then the urukai are the ones that can walk or go out yeah. in the sunlight and stuff whereas orcs can't or not supposed you know, to be able to, I, the, although that seems to change sometimes too. The but. impression that I got was that he kind of used the two terms interchangeably. Yeah. Um, but if if there is somebody listening who is more <laughs> versed in this than we are, yeah. we would love to know. Explain the difference between goblins, orcs, and urukai, <laughs> and I'll be. Well, urukai are like super orcs. Big orcs yes, right? they are. They're like, but there's different types orcs. of urukai. Some of them, because in this book, they only mention uruks from Mordor. They don't say Urukai, oh. which I see. Here's the thing I assumed. And this is people. Somebody who knows is going to be so mad that I'm just like <laughs> guessing on all this stuff. But to, to me, it wouldn't surprise me if Urukai just means high orc, oh. like a high yeah, elf. Maybe. And Uruk is orc in like black speed or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think Uruk. Urk, it's wasn't that an Elvish? Because Legolas says it. Well, a couple but times he says Urch. It's spelled Y R C H in the book. Man. He says Urk or whatever, or Urch or whatever. But that's spelled different. And but they do say Uruk several times. U R U K, and then there's Uruk Uruk dash high H A I, which is what Saruman sends that he creates in the movie. Someone show us a genealogy of orcs. <laughs> It's uh, very it. confusing to me, and I never quite understood it. But uh, I, I would just have... kept hearing Uruguay. Like. <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's it for Lost in Adaptation, and that's it for Jenna's time on the show. We're going to go eat dinner. That's <laughs> right. Just... Do you have anything that you want to yeah, plug? Yeah, anything else. Oh, Ooh. oh yeah, yeah, this is the there segment where I get to. You get to plug something. Um, Carly Rae Jepsen's new album, Dedicated, <laughs> is now available on iTunes and all streaming services. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> Just helping out. That's helping there. out Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to see my Instagram, so. Uh. <laughs> no, All right, well, thank you for joining us for those uh, segments, and she will be joining us again in a month or so when we do, mm-hmm. right? Because we're doing a book in between. Yeah, we're doing a book in between. So right. uh, when we do Two Towers in a couple months, or in a month, uh, she will be back. Yeah, that's and then right. another book, and then you'll be back again for Return, Return of the, the King. King. So there you go. Oh, I'm the king. Return yes, to you yeah, are. Okay. There you go. You're right. Aragorn in this uh, in this instance. And then you'll never see me again. Maybe unless we do The Hobbit That's eventually, it. which I'm sure we'll have to. But Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that either because, again, That'll be a I can't now. read. <laughs> there you go. All right. So that's it for our first few segments. We will be back, Katie and I, very shortly with Better in the Book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? everything all right so better in the book uh a lot of stuff we have a lot of stuff for every one of our better in slash nailed it segments Mm -hmm. like a lot of stuff um before we we have a long road to hoe before we get to our final verdict (laughs) uh the first thing i want to mention is the forward and the prologue in the book 
a part of the prologue is in the movie. Uh, he does say concerning hobbits in the film and sort of describes hobbits. But in the foreword, there's a couple little things, at least in my version of the foreword, that mm-hmm. I thought were funny that I wanted to mention. One of them is that Tolkien roasts some people who calls who call his book boring. It's just very funny to me. He says, uh, some who have read the book or at any rate have reviewed it have found it boring, absurd, or contemptible. And I have no cause to complain since I have similar opinions of their works or of the kinds of writings that they evidently prefer. <laughs> All right, Tolkien, go off, man. Uh, which I, I was like, <laughs> I love the distinction between Reddit and reviewed it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, also he mentions, and I thought this was bullshit uh honestly as he says that there's he insists that there's no meaning or message from the author as for any inner meaning or message it is it has in the intention of the author none it is neither allegorical nor topical Mm. he goes on to say as the story grew it put down roots into the past and throughout unexpected branches but its main theme was settled from the outset by the inevitable choice of the ring as the link between it and the hobbit it feels like you can't it's impossible to say that there's no meaning from yeah. the author or message you ha- you can't write a st- you can but something like this feels almost impossible to write without any sort of message but uh, whatever you know that's what Tolkien thought and i just i find that interesting death of the author there is meaning yeah, well, true. He's saying for him, from him, but even that to me is ridiculous. Uh, but whatever. Um, uh, in the prologue, we find out a few things about hobbits that aren't mentioned in the movie that I thought were interesting. Is that they used to be taller, yes, like up to like four feet, uh, and that there are different types of hobbits. They're not all the same. There's a uh, fallow hides, and uh, there's like three different types of hobbits that I can't mm-hmm. remember all the names of. Fallow hides are the ones that settled in the Shire, I think, or in Hobbiton, um, or in the Shire specifically. And that they actually used to be adequate fighters, but that they don't have any need for it anymore. So that they don't know how to fight anymore. But it's in their blood somewhere, basically, is kind of the implication. (laughs) Uh, And that uh, this was fascinating to me, and I had forgotten about this, that apparently only the richest and the poorest hobbits live in holes under the ground. Most of them just live in normal houses. Yeah. Uh, if you're really poor, you might live in like a little like little like a hole, little shitty hole. Yeah, but, or if you're rich, like Bilbo, you have like a big yeah, expansive. Yeah, you have bag end. Yeah, you have bag end. So it's uh, I thought that was interesting. I assumed mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I guess because the movie sort of implies it that they yeah. all just yeah. live in holes under the ground. And not the case. Most, the majority of them live in normal above ground kind of human like houses, just smaller. And this is interesting little details that I caught because I now knowing all of the stories from the movies is that we find out that eventually after all this is said and done, Pippin becomes the Thane, which is like the king of the hobbits kind mm-hmm. of. Um, and he has a copy of Lord of the Rings, the, the book we're reading made with the Arwen and Aragorn story added. He gets it from the appendices and has it added into the yeah. book. And my favorite thing about that is basically the movies are Pippin's version of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> They are the Pippin uh, commissioned version <laughs> of Lord of the Rings. It's the Pippin edit. Yeah, it's the Pippin edit of Lord of the Rings. That's literally what the movies are to some extent. Um, a little thing that I thought was uh, an int- a, a good addition in the book because it kind of uh, implies that Gandalf knows a little more than 
mm-hmm. than uh, he lets on or pretends to in the movie is that um, when Bilbo uses the ring to disappear at his party, Gandalf creates like a flash of light yeah. to make it kind of look more like a magic trick or something. Whereas in the movie, we just see him disappear mm-hmm. and Bilbo doesn't want those or Gandalf doesn't really want those rumors about like what happened kind of yeah. going out there because he's already suspects the ring is suspects what it is and he kind of wants to disguise it. Um, so he uh, he adds a little bit of flash of light to the, to kind of like put people off the trail like, well, I guess maybe some kind of like illusion yeah. or something. Wizard magic. Yeah. Um, Frodo. We, we already talked about yeah, this. Yeah, we talked yeah, about this. I was going to skip it, but that's fine. Well, I wanted, no, I wanted oh, okay. to mention it just real quick because yep. I wanted to um, bring up the fact that I kind of appreciate that because I, I feel like... Appreciate what? Um, the fact that he is older okay. when he goes on this adventure because I feel like that kind of flies in the face of like a lot of chosen one tropes. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Where they're like, it's usually like a younger person. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's he's middle aged basically yeah. when he goes out on this journey in the book, being fifty years old, as opposed to like the young man that he is in the movies. Right. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Um, oh, was- and speaking of that, that so those seventeen intervening years mm-hmm. where he's growing up, uh, they in the book mention, and I think this kind of makes his leaving and going on this journey a little make a little more sense. Is that he goes out and he does journey around in yeah. those intervening 17 years he doesn't just hang out at bag end he goes out and he and he talks to dwarves and he goes and visits elves in certain places mm-hmm. and that sort of thing so that all of this stuff isn't completely new to him um and that he does in fact know a little bit of elfish yes in the book which he doesn't really in the movie um but he actually knows a, a handful of words like not not the level that like aragorn or something does or or especially not like gandalf mm-hmm. but he knows a few words that he's picked up from bilbo and from kind of speaking with elves over the course of the 17 years in between uh leaving and and bilbo yeah leaving. It's, it's something that gets left out of the movie yeah is the fact that he does have that experience yeah uh in the book sam has a giant hat that i wish he had in the movie <laughs> I can't find it. I had it uh, here somewhere in the book. But he, um, when they set out, when they they set out on their journey, uh, Sam uh, has it. Here we go. Sam appeared trotting quickly and breathing hard. His heavy pack was hoisted high on his shoulders, and he had put on his head a tall, shapeless felt bag, which he called a hat. (laughs) In the gloom, he looked very much like a dwarf. So I just imagine this big, like, slouching, weird, like, bag on his head. And again, it wouldn't make sense in the movie, so no. I get why they dropped it. But I mean, it would have been funny for him to have it and then like immediately lose it somehow. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, "It's a hat," and then they're like, <laughs> and Frodo's like, "Okay," and then they're like riding a pony out, and it just gets knocked off by a tree or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing we get in this first, like, before Sam uh, as, and as Sam and Frodo are leaving, um, that I thought was really interesting is as they're leaving the Shire. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they get spotted by a fox and this is like the only time in the book that this happens but we get a a fox monologue we get a monologue like an inner monologue from a character that's not a a human and not part of the story at all and it reminded me a little bit of like the douglas adams or something like that um where a fox passing through the woods on business of his own stopped several minutes and sniffed Hobbits, he thought. Well, what next? I have heard of strange doings in this land, but I've seldom heard of a hobbit sleeping out out of doors under a tree. Three of them. There's something mighty queer behind this. He was quite quite right, but he never found out any more about it. 
It's just like, you know. It's just this little aside that yeah. does not matter at all. Yeah. But it's great in the yeah. moment. Yeah. And again, it doesn't, wouldn't really make sense in the movie at all. You yeah. It would be weird to have like a voiceover Fox. Like it just doesn't fit totally or anything like that. But I, 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 I liked it. I mean, it would have been maybe like a cool nod to book readers to just show a Fox, a fox by them. By yeah. Sniffing by them yeah. when they were sleeping or something. Yeah. But yeah. I wish we got to go to the elf feast. Yeah. We see the elves, um, the ones that are traveling west. Yeah, we see them on the road. In the while movie. they're going east. Um, we see them on the road. But we hang out with them for a little bit in the book, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, they go and they, because Sam's really excited to see elves. And they travel with them for a bit. And then they have a feast with them that seems very magical and mm-hmm. love wonderful. And, and again, we see elves later, so... It, doesn't really, you know, you get in Lothlorien you, and and Rivendell, you get a lot of the sort of elven mystical yeah, coolness, kind of ethereal, ethereal elvenish. But this, yeah, but this feast sounds really nice. Um, and they also have some great lines uh, that reminded me of uh, Harry Potter talking to the um, or Hagrid talking to the centaur. Yes, in uh, which I think it's safe to say that J.K. Rowling took no small amount of oh, inspiration, yeah. obviously from Lord of the Rings for certain things, uh, specifically that we'll mention later. But the elves, uh, Frodo's asking them for advice, basically on yeah. like what he should do and that sort of thing. And my favorite line, and we mentioned it earlier, we referenced it earlier <laughs> uh, when we were answering some of Jenna's questions. Uh, but after. Uh, the the basically Gildor, who's the elf he runs into, says the choice is yours to go or to wait. And then Frodo answers, and it is also said, go not to elves for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. <laughs> Which reminded me very much of the yeah yeah the where they kind of talk in like half riddles, half and... riddle, and but also are like, well, the answer is clear. You must stay or you must go. It's yeah. Like, well, okay. <laughs> Thanks. <great>. Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the Buckland Hobbit. Uh, this is an interesting point in the book that I don't think comes across in the movie mm-hmm. at all. Is in the beginning of the book when we're in Hobbiton, the the hobbits there talk uh, several times about how how and I'm going to use the word strange. They say queer in the book. That's just the word they're using yeah. for strange. But they uh, they talk about how queer the folk are in Buckland mm-hmm. a lot, and about how they're so different and they you know they don't they they they're they're weird. We don't we don't like them. Uh, they constantly talk about that. And then when they get to Buckland, everybody from Buckland talks about how queer all of the yeah. hobbits from Hobbiton <laughs> are. And it becomes very apparent that just everybody feels this way, you know, that they all it's sort of the point being that, you know, the you're always, you know, mistrusting of mm-hmm. it's a commentary on mistrusting somebody that, you know, slightly different. That's basically the exact yeah. same. Um, and I think that's something that doesn't come through as strongly in the movie as yeah. it does in the book. There are little hints of it here and there, but the hobbits are isolationists. Yeah. Yes. Like big time. They are like the conservative utopia. It's it. it this is interesting to some extent because this is there's some problematic elements and we may or may not. Not even going to tease this. Um, <laughs> talk about some of the problematic elements of Tolkien and, and Lord of the Rings, but uh, if we ever do the Harry Potter one, but uh, one of the things you know, there, there's lots of things to discuss in terms of like the the, the problems with having whole races be evil and, yeah. and 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 orcs and and all of that is a whole discussion to be had. But this is, I think, potentially one of maybe one of the more woker uh tolkien things is having that being play having it play out so obviously to the reader that 
this mistrust of these hobbits have of somebody who's slightly different than them from Mm -hmm. a different place is completely unfounded. Now, again, you could say they're all hobbits. They're basic, you know, like that's like, eh, but there is a, there is an, an element there of, of, of that unfounded fear of the other that, that Tolkien is critiquing to some extent here. Um, And again, there's other elements of his writing that kind of go against that at times, potentially Uh, many layered and, complicated but yeah Uh, and the movie doesn't really kind of talk about that at all Mm -hmm. Uh, in the book we get a lot more time with farmer maggot yes Uh, and i think he's really interesting that is him in the movie i looked with the hound where the the writer rides up to the door and says uh looking for the hobbits Mm -hmm. because that's what happens in the book and it is well at one point the gaffer turns him away in the book but also at another point farmer maggot says that when they get there that Mm -hmm. somebody showed up a day ago and my hounds were barking at him and that happens in the movie but they don't ever say that that is farmer maggot but that is him uh he's credited as such in the credits but uh we get a lot more of him in the in the book and i the thing that i think is interesting about him i understand why they cut him but i love that when they get to tom bombadil and there he's talking about farmer maggot he says there's earth under his old feet and his eyes are open. Yeah, that's it, a great line. It, it is. And it's it, it, it. I like this implication that this sort of simple, boring farmer, it it adds a lot to the the world building mm-hmm. uh, of the things not seen and not really discussed, but implied about yeah. characters. Yeah. And Tom Bombadil is also a big part of that, which we'll talk about here eventually. Um, but yeah, I. I get why they cut it, but I, I think Farmer Maggot's an interesting character. Uh, Mary and Pippin and Sam yeah. all conspired to come with Frodo yeah. when he left. In the book. Um, and now in the book, they had more time to like plan it. Yeah. Because he, he hung around he for hung a around long for time. Years. Um, but they knew about the ring. They knew that he was planning to leave. Yeah. Um, and they kind of had this like big conspiracy that they were going to go with him. They were going to go with him, yeah. And they, whereas in the movie, it's they're all pulled in by yes. happenstance. Sam yes. gets pulled in by by Gandalf. Gandalf, which happens the same in the book, but but it turns out but it he, turns like, out he was, he was there on purpose, there on and, purpose, and it was all a conspiracy to begin with. And then Merry and Pippin in the movie are just they run literally run into yeah. them. Uh, in the book, they're very much part of the plan and conspiracy to go on this journey. Yeah, which I like giving them that sort of yeah, agency I, I like in that. that. Um, I will say I understand why they drop why the movie drops it for the sort of character arcs of both Mary and Pippin, specifically yeah. Pippin, uh, you know, because he, 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 he's, they're starting them more as troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, they're, they're not, they're immature, they're immature in the movie. and they just end up on this journey in the movie and then become men for a lack yeah. of a better word, uh, adults, let's say, um, and responsible adults. Uh, but I like the idea in the, um, in the mo- or in the book that they go they they conspire to go on this journey willingly but they have no idea what they're getting themselves into yeah <laughs> like, you know they they go they're like yeah we want to go on this journey and it turns out they had no idea what they were going into uh, I'll talk later and better in the movie we'll talk about how we think it was uh, about our feelings on Tom Bombadil and what it was and wasn't cut there. Um, one great moment that I think in that happens in the Tom Bombadil uh, chapter mm-hmm. slash chapters is a moment where he's telling a story. Um, 
And I think it's a really powerful little moment about the power of storytelling just in general because they're listening to Tom Bombadil tell this story. Uh, So Tom Bombadil is telling him a story at this moment. When they caught his words, again, they found that he had now wandered into strange regions beyond their memory and beyond their waking thought, into times when the world was wider and the seas flowed straight to the western shore. And still on and back, Tom went singing on out into ancient starlight when only the elf sires were awake. Then suddenly he stopped, and they saw that he nodded as if he was falling asleep. The hobbits sat still before him, enchanted, and it seemed as if, under the spell of his words, the wind had gone, and the clouds had dried up, and the day had been withdrawn, and darkness had come from east and west, and all the sky was filled with the light of white stars. Whether the morning and evening of one day or of many days had passed, Frodo could not tell. He did not feel either hungry or tired, only filled with wonder. I think that, again, kind of sort of in a, a really beautifully puts to words that feeling of being completely lost in a story. Yeah. Just you know totally what I mean? swept up. Yeah. So I, I thought that's a really great little passage that I wanted to read, but it's again, it's in the Tom Bombadil chapters, which <laughs> we'll get to. Um, something interesting uh, in Brie in the book, that's not in the movie so much. Yeah. I don't think um, is that, there are humans and hobbits like coexisting yeah. in Bree. Yeah. And it's specifically mentioned in the books that it's like 50, 50 roughly mm-hmm. or, or seemingly. Um, and in the movie, it just kind of seems like it's all it seems humans. like it's all humans. Yeah. They do have hobbit hotel rooms, mm-hmm. which is mentioned in the book as well. But uh, in the movie or in the book, it's, it's, it's both uh, people, which again, I think is interesting to have that kind of mixed settlement mm-hmm. of, of people. Again, I think implies a, a bit more of a, Again, because it's one of those things that I think Tolkien being a bit more progressive in some elements of. Yeah, I say that. But like, you know what I mean? This this sort of uh, very there. This very functional, uh, diverse city to some extent. I say diverse. It's but relatively speaking, whereas a lot of the cities and and civilizations in Middle-earth are all one species. They're just hobbits, just elves, just men. Yeah, this one town in particular is a mixture. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily better, but I think it's funny. (laughs) In the book, when the moment where uh, Frodo accidentally uses the ring at the Prancing Pony, Uh uh, he hears... Pippin talking about Bilbo Baggins, kind of similar to the movie. And in order to distract everyone, he jumps up on a table and starts singing uh, basically a plagiarized version of Hey Diddle Diddle the Cat and the Fiddle Couch yeah. Runs Over the Moon. Um, although I assume the implication is being that, that Tolkien's going for is that this being an older story, yes. that is based on this Hobbit song. Our version. Hobbits invented it. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of feels like what he's going for there. Yeah. Um, and it is like you you have a note here that it's kind of tonally dissonant, and I don't yeah, disagree. Yeah, I think in the movie it might not. I think it would have been tonally dissonant, and I don't know that it would have worked with Frodo's character in the I, movie because he's is a bit more serious, a little and, bit more serious like, and grim, grim. Yeah, in yeah, the movie for sure. Um, but uh, it, it is because he accidentally he has his hands in his pockets basically while he's singing and yeah. he falls off the table and his hand accidentally like his the finger or the ring kind of accidentally slips onto his finger in his pocket. Whereas yeah. in the movie it like flies in the air and Which, you get that great shot. It, it is a great shot. But 
I don't know. I think like having the ring fall onto his finger is kind of silly. It's not not silly. It's, yeah, it's not not silly. I th- I guess it makes sense in the context of like the ring wanting to be found yeah. and like having its own consciousness kind of. Yeah. But it just like seems so unlikely and absurd that that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> that I find it a little bit distracting personally. Yeah. Uh, all their ponies run away in Bree, and this isn't important. So they have a bunch of ponies when they get to Bree. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 hobbit, just the hobbits. Yeah. They, at this have, point. they like each have a pony. They each have a pony, and then maybe one more. I don't remember. But they all uh, there's some stuff goes down, and overnight when the ring race attack, all the ponies the next morning are gone. Yeah. And I love that it's just a, again kind of an aside like the wolf or the fox thing, where uh, uh, Tolkien takes time to to comfort us and let us know that these 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 ponies are okay yeah uh, as a matter of fact he came out on the right side in the end he being the uh mr butterbur the the innkeeper because he was paying people for the ponies being missing basically mm-hmm. kind of but it turned out later that only one horse had actually been stolen the others had been driven off or had bolted in terror and were found wandering in different corners of the breeland mary's ponies had escaped altogether and eventually having a good deal of sense they made their way to the downs in search of fatty lumpkin which is tom bombadil's horse so they came under the care of Tom Bombadil for a while and were well off. But when news of events in Bree came to Tom's ears, he sent them to Mr. Butterbeer, who thus got good five beasts at a very fair price. They had to work harder in Bree, but Bob treated them well, so the whole journey... So on the whole, they were lucky. They missed a dark and dangerous journey, uh, but they never came to Rivendell. So like, hey, they lived a pretty good life, reader. Don't worry. Those those horses, they're all good. They didn't have to go on this dangerous trek. It's like, okay, thanks, Tolkien, I guess. <laughs> Um, Sam has a fun moment yeah. as they're leaving Bree. Uh, he throws an apple at Bill Fernie, yeah. who is not in the movie. Not in the movie at all. Um, Unless there's, there may be, it there, could be one of those things where he's like in the bar and yeah. he's like t- credited as that, but he's never focused yeah. on or anything. Um, so this is the guy who rats them out yeah. and then sells them Bill the Pony at yeah. an exorbitant price. He basically is responsible for their other horses getting stolen mm-hmm. and then he sells them his sick pony bill the pony who is in the movie uh, yeah crazy uh, like marked up price and as they're leaving town he's uh mocking them yeah and, and sam grabs an apple and throws it and Just hits him square in the face <laughs> uh, and i like a little bit of that uh giving us a little bit of sam's feisty spirit yeah uh, because he is we've as we find out over the course of the books more of a fighter than he seems at times mm-hmm. um, but i think they try to replace that moment in the movie where he bursts in uh, after Strider takes a Frodo out of the yes. room and he comes bursting through and I'll have you long shanks with his fists up and he's ready to fight uh, Aragorn <laughs> and lose horribly. But yeah, I think that's kind of the replacement for that scene to some extent. Uh, one of the other scenes that I, I get why this was cut, but uh, on their trek after Aragorn takes them, they're on their trek to uh, Rivendell mm-hmm. and on their way they're going to stop at Weathertop and before they get to Weathertop they can see in the distance one night flashes above Weathertop. Yes, yeah, like flashes, like flashes of, light. of lights and you don't know what that is at first. Eventually you find out that that was Gandalf battling the Ringwraiths mm-hmm. on top of uh, Amon Sul which is Weathertop. Um, I would have loved to seen that. Yeah, that would have been cool. Would have been cool to see Gandalf go toe to toe with five, four or five Wraiths or whatever. Uh, I, we're the replacement for that is we get to watch him fight Saruman yeah. and have like a wizard fight. And so. I'm not mad about that. No, I'm not mad about it either. Um, 
And it w- I mean, it would have been cool to at least show the flashes of light, yeah. maybe, but then I feel like they would have had to explain it Then you have to explain it, it yeah. Yeah, and if you explain it and be, oh, I battled some ring race, if I'm watching the movie, I'm like, why didn't I see yeah. that? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, the only way you could get away with it, and again, this would be cool, is if it was in the background mm-hmm. and not the focus of a shot. Like they're camping one night or something mm-hmm. while on their journey, and we're watching a like in that scene. I don't know if the, where this takes place, but in that scene where Aragorn's singing, yeah, in the background there's some light flashing above some hills in the background, and you don't even notice. And maybe there is, and we didn't even notice. Yeah, but that maybe. like that would maybe. be cool. And then because then you wouldn't have to answer for it, but anybody right. who knew would be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You could so. just let people think it was lightning, lightning or, or whatever, yeah. yeah. Which who knows? That honestly, that part where Aragorn is saying, I forgot that part was in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So there's a chance that might even happen. No, um, but speaking and... of Aragorn singing, you yeah, had, you had strong feelings about. This. I did. So I forgot about this scene in the book. Uh, um, not I, I. I forgot about the scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't remember at all. I didn't remember anything about the book, pretty much. Um, but Aragorn in the book sings a song about Tenuviel and Baron. Yes. Oh, she has a different name called like Luthien or something. Yeah. But he calls her Tenuviel, I think. Um, and as he's singing the song, it's uh, very interesting, very or very similar to the sort of story, the forbidden love between a man and an elf mm-hmm. uh, of Arwen and Aragorn. And I think it's, you know, the first time I read this book, not thinking about it as a 14-year-old, probably flew right over my head. I might yeah. not have even read it because, as I've said before, I don't like reading songs. <laughs> but this time, it really added a lot to it, knowing what, uh, knowing the story of him and Arwen mm-hmm. from the movies and what happens there. And he has this little, he sighs kind of briefly after he finishes singing the song. And I think it just adds a lot to his character. And I even said... At the time, I was like, man, I can't believe that's not in the movie because that seems like such a good way to get a song into the movie that yeah. adds a lot to the character. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's just a great character moment. And lo and behold, it is in the extended version. And I had either forgotten yeah, or not seen there's it. There's a little slice of it. Yeah. It's not the whole song that we get. In no, the book. it's like a verse or something yeah. or, or the chorus. But um, but we do get but he does sad eyes Aragorn. He sings singing, a little bit of yeah. it, and he finishes, and he sighs, and then uh, Frodo asks him about it, and he kind of just, you know, waxes sadly for a second. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, good. I'm glad they kept it in, because to me, as a as a thinking, reading the book this time, I was like, that seems like, as a filmmaker, I would absolutely have that scene mm-hmm. in the movie. And they did. They just didn't have it in the theatrical cut. Again, it's not super important. If you're trying to cut a three-and-a-half-hour movie down to two-and-a-half hours, yeah. I get why you might cut that three-minute scene, <laughs> but... Um, so one thing that the book makes clear that the movie doesn't really is that if the ring wraiths had stabbed Frodo's heart with the the Morgul blade, yeah. he himself would have turned into a wraith. Yeah, which the movie says uh, he's turning into a wraith, yeah. basically. Aragorn says that at one point, which I had forgotten about. Um, but if it had hit him in the heart, uh, which it doesn't, and I have a note in Odds and Ends about it that I I don't know where this person got this from. Let, I'll do talk about it now because we're on that part. So in the movie, um, Aragorn drives off the Nazgul and he's using a torch and stuff. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Um, in the book, Frodo tries to stab the Witch King because uh, that's who stabs him is the Witch King of Angmar. We mm-hmm. find out later. We don't know that at this point, but um uh, with the sword that Bombadil gave him, which he got from the Barrow Downs right. or whatever. 
while and he does cry out Elbereth, which is the an elf lord or elf, like elf figure deity, deity or something like that, um, which causes the Nazgul great pain. And the Witch King misses Frodo's heart with a Morgul blade because of this. They then flee and don't return. Because the, the the him having that blade and the uh, and saying Elbereth caused him to believe that Frodo had defeated the Barrow White, when actually we know it was Tom Bombadil that did, hmm. um, and that and that Frodo was in league with High Elves due to the name Elbereth, which he learned from Gildor's company. They do sing a song about yeah. Elbereth, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this causes the Nazgul to fear Frodo, particularly since Frodo's sword was deadly to them. And then Aragorn shows up and helps drive them off. And now. And then Aragorn doesn't understand why they don't return. Apparently, the reason they didn't return is because they're scared of Frodo because he said Elbereth and he had a sword that they knew came from the Barrow White and they thought he defeated the Barrow White and thus was very... And I'm like, where did this... This is on the Wikipedia or like the one of the wiki pages about this. And I was like, where did that come... Like that must lie. be a later book thing. And maybe, if, yeah, maybe or, it's... I'm like, how that's not remotely implied. That feels in, like a lot of extrapolating yeah that's what i mean i was like to me it just seems like the i thought it just missed or something and then i I don't know but anyways i thought that was really interesting Uh, i just i was like what what who where did that what okay um but uh if he had been stabbed in the heart uh he would have been lost and he would have become a wraith yes luckily he didn't I wish the movie had included the Hall of Fire, just like one scene, which is a location at Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds really cool. Like it's like this big, uh, f- dark, cool hall where they sing songs and hang out. And I just think it would have been very atmospheric. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, I get it. They mostly just go there to sing songs and I don't really necessarily need a lot more <laughs> of that. Um, but it could have been a good place to include Aragorn singing about Tenuvial, maybe while looking at Arwen. But that being said, the movie includes it already, so I, they don't need Yeah. this. I wrote this note before I knew that they, the movie <laughs> included it. Um, Aragorn and Bilbo also have a nice moment together yeah. in Rivendell. Which we don't get at all in the movie. Yeah. The, the, the implication that they're actually friends. Yeah, they have like an, an old friendship. Yeah. Um, and they write a song together yeah. in Rivendell. I thought that was interesting because the movie doesn't remotely... He might say like... There might be like one line where he says... But I don't recall that that they are that it, the movie implies at all that they're friends or knew each other. But like apparently they traveled together. At well, some point. apparently they replaced that with Aragorn and Legolas being right. lifelong True. friends. Yeah, in the movie, uh, Aragorn and Legolas <laughs> seem to be friends, and we have no reason to think that's the case yeah. in the book. Uh, the book also explains what rangers are, and the movie doesn't really. They just the movie's just like he's a man from the north, the Dunedain, a ranger. Uh, but in in the book, we find out that the rangers are kind of like silently. They're kind of like the watchers on the wall. They kind of like mm-hmm. patrol and silently protect everybody. Yeah. Uh, in the in the lands away from like Gondor and stuff, like up in you know the the northern areas of the country and that sort of thing, uh, and the western areas, they they kind of are there silently protecting, which I thought was interesting. And again, mm-hmm. I don't think the movie remotely touches no. on that being the case. Um, again, it, it would be a, it would not really any way you would show it. You might just mention it, but um, Gandalf mentions this is during the council of during Elrond, the council of Elrond. Yeah, uh, he mentions driving the necromancer out of Mirkwood. Yeah, it's just one line, and yeah. he doesn't tell a big story about it. Um, but he does mention that it was Sauron. Turned yeah. out to be Sauron, and uh, I thought it was like, oh, 
So that's because that was that whole storyline they added to the Hobbit movies. Mm-hmm. So they, they could get Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel and Saruman, I, I think, is in it, too. Yes. Um, and they give them something. Or Elrond might not be there. I think it might just be Galadriel. I don't, I don't remember. remember. Doesn't matter. I've but anyways, blocked those yeah, movies. They they go and they do battle with this necromancer in Mirkwood, uh-huh. and it turns out that it's Sauron, uh, and so that's where that kind of I think this specific line is where they pulled that idea to add to the Hobbit books because that's Probably. not in the Hobbit yeah. at all. Um, I thought that the book had a better explanation for how Gandalf gets off of the tower. In Isengard, um, I, I mean, I, I like I like the moth. Yeah, I just feel like I feel like the first time I saw this movie, I didn't understand what dots I was supposed to be connecting yeah. with. Like, where did the moth come from? See, if you don't, I think yeah, I agree. Because if you if you haven't read the book, yeah, you're like what? I think having read the book, this is one of those things that you connect the dots with. Oh, Radagast, right. That sort of thing, yeah. you know, and because it, it is like a brown moth, I think even more so trying to mm-hmm. uh, imply that this is somehow connected to Radagask and him speaking to him and getting the, the eagle to come. Um, but yeah, you don't in the, the movie doesn't remotely no. explain. Not at all. How the moth gets an eagle or why he catches how he's able to catch like in none of that. But yeah, um, I think knowing the book, the movie version works really well. Yeah. But if you don't know the book, it's a little like, what? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I get why they didn't do this. I'm kind of mixed on it. Um, but <laughs> this is an w- interesting change. Uh, when Gandalf goes to f- talk to Saruman, it turns out he's no longer Saruman the White. Mm-hmm. For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of Many Colors. I looked then and saw that his robes, which had seemed white, were not so, but were woven of all colors. And if he moved, they shimmered and changed hue, so that the eye was bewildered. Fabulous. Yes. And I mean, they denied us fabulous Saruman. (laughs) I mean, that would have been an iconic scene, I feel like. That being said, I, I don't know. I don't know. I get keeping it. It, a little more like consistent with like he's Gandalf or he's Saruman the White. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he's different. Like he's Saruman yeah. the Many Colored. Also, what does that imply? Because see, there's also some weird baggage. Less so, I think when Tolkien wrote this, maybe. Yeah. But nowadays, with, um, because right after that, Gandalf says, "I liked White better." Yeah. And it's like, uh. I think there's a weird implication of like you could read a weird uh, implication of and maybe this is even what Tolkien's going for. I don't know of of that sort of um, diversity being uh, sort of um, a negative uh, mm-hmm. a negative association with sort of diversity mm-hmm. in terms of like. Uh, not not di- <laughs> just in terms of like. Something like basically implying that like pure white is better and that this many colors, this mixture of things is is somehow perverse. You know what I mean? Like it it feels like there's weird language. There's weird implications to that that I think they probably just didn't want to get into maybe. Or and also I just think it also just makes more sense. It just is less confusing to have him just be 
Yeah. Saruman the White. I'm Gandalf the Grey. That's Radagast the Brown. We're the, you know. So, anyways. Oh, and then he also, this is one of the things that I wish they had mentioned more in the movie. And I think they did, but we kind of get more uh, of a explanation of what Saruman's motive is for doing mm-hmm. all of this. Basically, he um, he says that basically they, his, his high and ultimate purpose is knowledge, rule, and order. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, thinking or his uh, striving to achieve those things by allying with Sauron, um, he thinks is the best way to kind of achieve those things. It's again, it's like a perverted, um, a perversion of like good goals. Obviously, uh, knowledge is a good goal. Mm-hmm. Rule and order, to some extent, are good goals. But his level of the, he's taking them above and beyond the sort of yeah socially agreed upon level of those of those things I guess um, I, in the movie it feels a little bit like he's just wants power I guess yeah I think so. I think in the book it's implied more that he has like some high ideals that he thinks the world isn't living up to mm-hmm. to some extent. And that's kind of what's motivating him to side with this Mm -hmm. evil person as opposed to just we can rule the Middle Earth type of thing. I think it's a little more interesting. Um, Bilbo actually volunteers to take the ring into Mordor. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the first one. He's like, all right, I'll do it. And they're like, no, Bilbo, you're like 150. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, After they finally leave, uh, Gandalf and Aragorn argue about what path to take. In Uh the movie... It turns out that it's Gandalf who doesn't in the movie. Gandalf doesn't want to go through Moria. Uh, There's a lot of levels to this, a lot of layers to why they made this change. Um, In the book, Gandalf wants to go through Moria. Mm -hmm. Aragorn wants to go over the mountain. Uh, Gandalf's like, no, we can just go through Moria. And I think I like this. I understand why the movie changed it. And we may talk about that. I I like Gandalf being like, no, let's go through Moria. Because to me, it feels like it's implied that and he's in this whole movie. The biggest maybe change to Gandalf's character is he's more unsure Mm -hmm. in the movie and more like scared of things and like and like frazzled at times. Like he shows up to Frodo's and he's like, oh, was it? You know, he's like kind of a little more just unsure of everything that's going on. Whereas in the book, he feels a little bit more like sort of like Dumbledore. Yeah. Of like knowing ultimately how this is all going to end and he's just playing his part and going down mm-hmm. that path. And I like the idea of him being like, yeah, we're, we're going to go through Mordor or <laughs> uh, obviously, but we're going to go through Moria, <laughs> even though he kind of I don't think it's implied that he like knows he's going to die. But like kind of maybe mm-hmm. like, again, he knows the path. He knows where he's going. And the fact that he's going to die in Moria is not something that he's scared of like going down there. Yeah. I yeah. think it makes him feel more because he is, and we didn't talk about this at all, but he is a <laughs> him and all the 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 wizards and a few other uh, creatures are are these high descendant, um, essentially deities. Yeah, within the world of Middle Earth, there's a whole structure of of the way that Middle Earth works with the deities, and that there's there's the uh, and I've forgotten all the names now, but there's <laughs> the. Um, the basically the creator and then underneath the creator there's a a whole set of uh creature beings that are like the first spirits on middle mm-hmm. earth and then right below slash equal to them are these other ones that are maya mayar mayar i believe yeah. and gandalf is a mayar or maya 
Um, and so is Saruman and Radagast and then several other people that they don't go into in the book. Um, and so they're like, they're like basically kind of like angels. I would like if you're yeah. going to like correlate it to like a Christian, uh, yeah. Judeo-Christian background. Yeah, they're not like wizards in like the Harry Potter no. sense of wizards where no. they're just people who have magical powers. No, 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 no. They're they're like ancient primordial spirits yeah. that take physical form. Yeah. And more like Greek gods or something like that. Yeah, almost kind like of. like demigod yeah, kind demigods. of a, a, a feeling. Not even demigods. Like legitimately, I would argue like Greek gods who would just walk among Earth kind of. Because mm-hmm. Greek gods are like, I guess they take a physical. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe demigod. Whatever. But yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you're right. Um, but that and the movie doesn't really touch on that a lot. And I think it's really interesting, but it also would take a lot of explaining. Yes. To set up all of the lore and sort of the religion of <laughs> yeah. Middle Earth. Yeah. Uh, Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> when are they making the uh, the twelve part Cimmerillion movies? Hopefully, never. <laughs> I don't know anything about the Cimmerillion, but is that not what they were doing with uh, the Amazon? I think they're going to go back and tell older stories, oh, but okay. I don't think it's going to be the I Cimmerillion. They, they may, they may. I don't know. I don't know enough about the Cimmerillion to say whether or not that would be a good idea. I just, from what I'm, my understanding is that it's a bit like the Bible of Middle yeah. Earth, like it's the old tales and. Particularly, yeah. more, it's like all of the most boring parts of the Lord of the Rings books. From what I hear, it's it's not easy to read necessarily, but I could be wrong. Um, there's a pretty epic uh, battle, yeah. in the book where they get attacked by some wolves, yeah, and Gandalf sets the trees on fire, yeah, before they get into Moria. And I wonder if there's something like they translated this to the Hobbit. There's a scene where they get attacked by orcs in the first movie on the mountains and there's mm-hmm. wargs with them. And I think the trees get set on fire. I think you might be right. right? And I'm wondering if they pulled elements from yeah. that because Gandalf sets all the trees on fire and it sounds like it would be badass because they're just getting attacked by all these wargs. But yeah, that gets cut from the movie. It's not super important. And we're about to get the big action sequence in Moria. But right. uh, I, I would want to see Gandalf set all the trees on fire. <laughs> I don't like the teeter tottering steps in Moria. <laughs> I think they're silly when they get in Moria in the movie. And they're running down those steps. I don't hate the whole sequence. I don't hate them even jumping over the the gap or whatever. I just, I've always found the part where Aragorn and Frodo are on the steps and they're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, lean forward, whoa. And then they kind of, <laughs> and it also is like one of maybe the worst like uh, CGI in like the whole movie. Yeah, like it, it, it doesn't hold up quite as well as some of the yeah, other stuff. Yeah, like because overall the movie holds up great, but that scene in particular never looked amazing to me even years ago. Um, and I just think it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it's not in the book. <laughs> but um, so in the movie, uh, they don't blindfold everyone before bringing them into Lothlorien. No, they which do not. Was something that I kind of enjoyed in the book, I thought was yeah interesting because they're gonna just blindfold Gimli. Yeah, because he's a dwarf and they don't treat. Yeah, they are, and they don't trust dwarves are racist against elves. Yeah, so, yeah, they both mistrust each other, but they um. Aragorn to keep the peace says okay well we'll all be because Gimli refuses but Aragorn's like we'll all be blindfolded and they're like okay we'll do that Uh, then eventually though after they get word from Galadriel they unblindfold everybody and I think the movie just kind of skipped to that part where they're like okay Galadriel's cool with you guys you don't have to be (laughs) blindfolded I love this moment in the book and it's not in the movie is that uh, Celeborn uh, starts talking shit on Gandalf yeah. for going into the mines yeah. and Galadriel straight calls him out in front of everybody and it's <laughs> fantastic. 
so he dies, and they explain that Gandalf died in Moria. It was a Balrog of Morgoth, says Legolas, of all elf banes, the most deadly, save the one who sits in the Dark Tower. Indeed, I saw upon the bridge that which haunts our darkest dreams. I saw Durin's bane, said Gimli in a low voice, and dread was in his eyes. Alas, said Celeborn. We long have feared that under Caradras a terror slept. We long have feared that under Caradras a terror slept. But had I known that the dwarves had stirred up this evil in Moria again, I would have forbidden you to pass the northern borders, you and all that went with you. And if it were possible, one would say that at the last Gandalf fell from wisdom into folly, going needlessly into the net of Moria. He would be rash indeed that said that thing, said Galadriel gravely. Needless were none of the deeds of Gandalf in life. Those that followed him knew not his mind and cannot report his full purpose. But however it may be with the guide, the followers are blameless. Do not repent of your welcome to the dwarf. If our folk had been exiled long and far from Lothorian, who of the Galadrim, even Celeborn the wise, would pass high nigh and would not, and would not wish to look upon their ancient home, though it had become an abode of dragons." Basically, like, because, yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about, dude? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm glad you <laughs> Shut up, Celeborn. <laughs> I just thought it was great. Um, Gimli, I think, has a little bit more depth. Yeah. In the, the Lothlorien sequence. I think he has a little more depth than overall in the book. Yeah. To some extent. He's not terrible in the movie. He was better than I remembered, but I think he just in general has more depth. Um and is a little bit less of like a caricature of a dwarf mm-hmm. in the book. Um but one of the things that I really liked in the movie it feels like it's implied that he just is like enthralled by Galadriel because mm-hmm. she's so beautiful and fair and like yeah. you know impressive and powerful and that sort of thing. But it's not just that. In the book, it's very clear that he, the thing he finds that the reason he's so uh, finds her so interesting and appealing is because she's like very understanding and she speaks highly of the accomplishments of dwarves mm-hmm. and uh, sort of praises his his ancestors. Um, and then he sees like an understanding. I'll just read the the quote here real quick. Dark is the water of Keled Zaram, and cold are the springs of Kibble Nala, and fair were the many, many pillared halls of Akazad Doom in elder days before the fall of mighty kings beneath the stone. She looked upon Gimli, who sat glowering and sad, and she smiled. And the dwarf, hearing the names given in his own ancient tongue, looked up and met her eyes, and it seemed to him that he looked suddenly into the heart of an enemy and saw their love and understanding. Wonder came into his face, and then he smiled in answer. So again, to me, that's it, it feels different than it does in the movie. Yes. Um, and it feels much deeper and yes. more meaningful than it does in the movie. Uh, Sam gets to look into Galadriel's mirror. Yes, which was in an earlier version of the script. Yeah. Um, he does not get to do so in the movie. But he, uh, Sam, he's actually the one who sees the scouring, scouring yeah, of the Shire. Of the Shire. Yeah, which Frodo sees in the movie. Yeah. Um, which does not come to pass in the movie. It does come to pass in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very controversial we'll, we'll change. Get, we'll get to that <laughs> yeah. later. Um, but Sam gets to see that. And the other thing I thought was interesting in the mirror sequence that they change is that in the book, Frodo sees a white wizard walking mm-hmm. down a road with his head, his face covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't know, it, obviously, at the time what that is. And it's obviously very clearly a tease for the return of Gandalf as Gandalf the White. Right. Um, and it's a little interesting to me that the movie didn't, that would have been an interesting tease to put in there yeah. for, for moviegoers. Yeah. Cause again, you just would assume it was Saruman, mm-hmm. um, if you were just watching the movie. Cause again, it, you know, I, I was a little surprised that the movie didn't have that, but whatever. C'est la vie, I guess. Uh, Sam 
in the book gets a little box of dirt for his garden. From Galadriel, yeah. yeah. Because he's a gardener. Yes. Um, she does not give him rope. He gets rope from the elves. They just give them a bunch of rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not her gift to Sam. Her gift to Sam is garden that she says if he puts in his gar- or soil that if he puts in his garden, it will grow as beautiful as the, mm-hmm. the woods of Lothlorien or whatever. Which I just like Sam getting a box of dirt. <laughs> well, it's it's a more fitting. It is, um, and it, it's more meaningful and like kind of symbolic. Yeah. Um, especially because the scouring of the Shire does happen. Does in the happen, books. and I assume that the dirt comes in handy. Yes. Eventually, <laughs> yes, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Oh, the other last thing is that uh, Gimli has a nice little moment after he gets the hair from her. Where mm-hmm. it's not just like he in the movie, he just like, ooh, I got her hair so I can smell it like a weirdo or whatever. <laughs> in the book, he makes it clear. He says, I want to have the I'm going to have the hair um, forged into some sort of stones or something. Yeah. And then set in uh, jewelry that will represent the uh, a pledge of goodwill between elves and dwarves, basically. And he gives this like eloquent speech about how he wants this to represent, basically be this first part of a, that will represent a lasting bond between elves and dwarves. And it feels, again, kind of going back to their deeper relationship between the two of mm-hmm. them, sort of mending old wounds. Yeah. Uh, and not this surface level, like, she's really pretty type of thing that it feels like in the movie yeah, kind of thing, does. like yeah, a much more juvenile thing. Um, the the And I get why they played it, because at the at the end of the movie, they play that for a bit more of a joke mm-hmm. as like some lighthearted humor. The book has a little bit of that, but mixes it with this deeper thing. And I think that would have just feels better than it does in the movie. <laughs> All right. But that was it for better in the book. Let's get right into better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. The line... A wizard is never late nor early. He arrives precisely when he means to. We tried to find it. There might be a version of this somewhere in the book, but it definitely does not appear verbatim. And definitely not in the same place. Yes. And that's, it's an iconic line. An iconic line and a very, a very good introduction for Gandalf's character. Yes. Uh, Kind of establishing what he's about. His wit, his humor mixed with severity, all of that kind of summed up. Yeah, because he's joking, but not like, you know what I mean? Like it kind of mixes all of that into into one line for him. I like in the movie that he shoots off fireworks for the kids. That exact moment happens in the book where he's riding in on the cart and the kids are chasing the cart and they're like, get fireworks, Gandalf, fireworks. And in the book, he does not do him. He's and he just waits for later for the party. I think it adds a little bit of fun mischief to Gandalf. I think it fits with his character both in the oh, book definitely. and the, in both the book and the movie because his character's pretty similar. Yeah, he's a bit more uh, unsure and scared in the movie at times, but like he's still the same powerful but fun. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's Dumbledore to some extent. And we talked about this that they really messed up by that <laughs> not just getting Surrey and McKellen to play Dumbledore. He pulls off that exact type of character perfectly yeah um but i love that they he actually shoots off the fireworks and gets that little smile on his face is is fantastic yeah, it's great um another great gandalf moment in the movie is when he is bumping into the ceiling in bag end multiple times yeah. i love that yeah and, and the apocryphal story potentially thanks everybody online who corrected <laughs> me about that the potentially apocryphal story about that is that that was not scripted at least the one where he bangs into the door frame that that was not in the script and that that just happened. Yeah. My guess is that he bumped his head once at some point 
during blocking or something and they're like that's great put it in <laughs> and that. then they did it you yeah. know what i mean would yeah. be my guess and that maybe it wasn't scripted scripted but that it wasn't like a completely yeah. whoa that happened in a take and they just kept that take type <laughs> of thing if i had to guess but uh he also breathes uh a, 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 they're they talk about it in the book several times about blowing smoke rings and that sort of yeah. thing and how Gandalf's good at it. But in the movie, they take it to 11 by having him <laughs> blow, which makes sense with all the magic stuff he does in the books and the movies. There's no reason he couldn't do this. Uh, he blows a a, a, a a ship with sails out of the mm-hmm. smoke and, and blows it through a smoke ring. And it just looks cool. And I always like the way he moves his cheeks in the moment in the movie. It's like, it yeah, just it's, looks like, <laughs> it's cool, and I feel like it fits with his character, yeah, too. Yeah. That kind, kind of, of like fun element. Fun and, like, he's also confident. Yeah. And, like, a little, like... Where he's being a little bit of a show-off. A little bit of a show-off, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also love Sam's adorable crush on Rosie. Yeah. The Hobbit girl. Who's not in the book, as we discussed, or yeah. at least not in this one. Um, but it is it is adorable that he can't work up the nerve to talk to yep. her. And that's his character arc, <laughs> one of his character arcs in the movies, and when he gets back... He, has he that, goes and talks to Rosie. Yeah. He has that uh, courage now. Uh, in the movie, we actually see Bilbo in the moment where he gives up the ring in Bag End. He has it in his palm and he tilts his hand and it falls to the floor. In the book, that moment happens. The same thing happens where he says, oh, yeah, I'm OK, I'll leave the ring. And then he mm-hmm. leaves and he still has it. And Gandalf's like, Bilbo, that same thing happens in the book. But in the book, it's already in the envelope. Yeah. And then so he just comes back and puts the envelope down. I like in the movie, I just think it's a much more visually impactful moment because the ring is the thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be way less interesting to see him set down an envelope. But having him tilt his hand with the close up of the ring and and it falling. And I also love when it hits the sound it makes when it hits the floor and you and how they they had it so it doesn't bounce. Yes. Which it's discussed numerous times in the book that there's this strange weight mm-hmm. to the ring. This like a, a magical, just like unusual weight to it. And it changes sizes. We know it'll get bigger for people and smaller because Sauron's hands are bigger than yeah. the hobbits and that sort of thing. It changes sizes um, and it also gets bigger if it wants to slip off somebody's hand and that sort of thing. And that I love just love how it doesn't bounce and it just hits the floor. And that's such a great visual moment in the film that was a complete change from the book because, again, it's in an envelope. So Yeah. Um, speaking of that envelope, I also loved um, that they let the envelope yeah. burn to reveal the ring, yeah. which in the book, they just toss the ring itself yeah, into they just the put coals. the ring in the fire. I enjoy that uh, in the book, Frodo leaves it when he's older. Yeah, because like you said, it escapes the sort of chosen one young man's game archetypes. Uh, But having him leave immediately does give it this sense of urgency that the book does not have. Yes, the book lacks a lot of urgency even after. So we spend 17 years there uh, waiting. And then even when Gandalf comes back and says, is it secret? Is it safe? Oh, my gosh, it's the one ring. You got to get out of here. He goes. Can I go in like a month or two? Yeah. And it's like, I guess. And it's like, <laughs> well, I thought this was serious. And now in the book, they are also talking about they want to make sure that it's it's not obvious that he just bolted like they want right. to set up some stuff so that it's like. Yeah, they set up like a cover story of him for going him to move book. away somewhere and that sort of thing. But still, it does lack a little bit of urgency <laughs> when he can just dilly dally for months. And you yeah, know. it's like I thought they were coming to get him right now. <laughs> Um, and speaking of that, that kind of sense of urgency too. They moved a line. They moved a lot I, of lines. Yeah, they moved the a lot movie. of lines. But this one, I feel like, was a really, really particularly good move. Yeah. Um, the line about, "I wish it had not happened." 
Yes. During my time or, or whatever he it says, is. He says, I wish the ring hadn't come to me. I wish none of this had happened. Yeah. And, and Gandalf, Gandalf responds. Says, so do all who live to see such times. Yeah. Um, and in the book, that happens before Frodo end. ever yeah. leaves. Like right after he finds out it's the ring. He's yeah. Like, he says that. Um, but moving it to the minds of Moria, I think, was a really good choice because at that point, Frodo has really felt the true weight of his quest. Yeah. Yeah, before he even leaves, he's just like, you know, he's he's going on an adventure. He's like, it's not that big a deal. But once he's in Moria, shit has hit the fan yeah. at this point numerous times. He's been yeah. stabbed by, he's, you know, he's been stabbed by a, a ring wraith. He's almost died. He's, uh, they've, they've tried to climb a mountain and failed. And then they've gotten attacked by a sea creature and then ended up in these horrifying uh, pitch black mines that yeah. they're trying to navigate through. And at this point, he's like, I... I don't want this. And I think moving it to like where they have it in the book, I feel like you could read it almost like whining. Yeah. Because nothing's actually happened yet. Nothing has happened yet. But like moving it a little further into the journey gives it kind of a bittersweet element. Yeah. A pensive bittersweet element. Absolutely agree. I also think it was a smart move to move Smeagol finding the ring to an entirely later film. Yeah. In this movie, we get it. Uh, they discuss it and explain how it happened uh, before he ever leaves, I think, is when it happens. In the mm-hmm. book, I believe it's in that same area where they're discussing. Um, uh, Gandalf tells him a lot of stuff in Hob- uh, in Bag End when he shows up. Yeah, there's and, a big info dump. Yeah, there. and one of the one of the info dumps is how the ring came to Smeagol because he has found Gollum at this point and has figured this all out somehow. And he knows that. Gollum found the ring and he tells the whole story about Deagle and them finding it in the river and all that sort of stuff. And I think it was really smart to move that to, I think it's in Return of the King. I think it is King. at the beginning of Return of the King. It's beginning of Return yeah. of the King. I think that makes sense. We don't need that right now. Mm-hmm. It's not super pivotal, but it does. And especially because Gollum isn't a character in this book. Yes. So like, I don't really need to know the the backstory of Gollum because I, he doesn't do anything in this book. He just follows him <laughs> around for, you know, where he becomes a pivotal character in later books. That's when we want to mm-hmm. know about yeah, that's, that's when we want to know his backstory. And sort of the the tragedy of Gollum, yeah. the tragedy of Smeagol. Uh, oh, and then there's another line in that moment, because we said a lot of them are front-loaded in the book before ever... The iconic lines in the movie, a lot of them are front-loaded before he ever leaves the Shire. Um, and another one is, is Gandalf says in this moment, I will help you bear this burden for as long as it is yours to bear. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly when that gets moved... He might say that in Rivendell. I think he might movie. say that in Rivendell. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, again, just spreading out those sort of iconic lines. Mm-hmm. Now, who knows how iconic they f- felt to readers? Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're iconic in the movie because of when they happen and how they're delivered. Yeah. To some extent. Some of them are iconic in the book, I'm sure. But like, I, I think that it, it definitely they found good lines to use throughout the book to really hit home certain points at certain times, whereas the book has a lot of those moments early. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess you could argue that they make just as much sense there. I think the one we made a really good argument for is so do all who live to see such times. But yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, another great line from the movie, uh, Sam's line about taking one more step and being the furthest he's ever been from home. Yeah. And again, I think there might be a version of this in the book somewhere. We talked about something it, the cl- similar. The closest there is is when they leave uh, Buckland and they go through the hedge. Yeah. At Buckland, uh, Mary says something about going through the gate and he says, now we're out of the Shire, basically. 
Um, and, and, and that's kind of the closest thing. They cross over this boundary and it's them being outside of their mm-hmm. home, basically. Um, but I think the movie's version is better. Yeah, I think it, it carries more weight, um, especially by giving it to Sam. Yeah. Somebody who is like the ultimate homebody. Yes. Yeah, I agree. They're the first scene where they're hiding from the Ringwraith, that happens a couple times in the book. We get it like two scenes, I think, yeah. where they're hiding from Ringwraith, if not more. Um, but in this in the movie, the scene that we see, they're hiding together. In the in the book, they're like split up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, the first time they hide, they're split apart. They're yeah. like on opposite sides of the road. Um, but in this one, they uh, they they're cowered right on the side of the road together. And the the moment that I forgot that I really like about it is the bugs, mm-hmm. which. There's some implication of that at times of how creatures flee from the yes. Nazgul yeah. or from the from the ring race. It's implied that like creatures don't like them and they get away and they give off this 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 sort of uh, aura of fear and that sort of thing. But it really drives it home and it's not specifically mentioned in the book of like bugs crawling out of the ground and freaking out. But that moment in the movie is like Ugh! like yeah. it really gets you and is like establishes this is. If these creepy things are scared of that thing, <laughs> whatever that is, is horrifying. <laughs> um, I like that we montage through all the walking yes. in the movie. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Like, and I get that that's kind of the point of the book, but it's just not super enthralling yeah. to read. We get we spend so much time listening to descriptions of the woods they're walking yes. through and the things they're seeing. And again, that's the point to some extent it is this it's this journey yeah uh you know and 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 we're going on this journey with them and we probably wants us to feel the weight of how far they're going and how long it's taking and and at times how tedious it is Mm -hmm. so that's all built in there i think but that being said it's it's nice at times to be able to just kind of chop chop through that yeah because again it's nothing super fascinating happening well, right. Uh, and and you I mean, you mentioned like he wants us to be able to kind of see where they're yeah. going and what they're seeing, which we can. We can in a because movie. the movie shows and, us. Yeah. That. And we can see things very quickly. Yeah. And get like panning wide shots yeah. and sweeping locations. And it's very impactful without having to spend as much time yeah. on it. Every time we get a helicopter shot of them walking through some countryside, that's a whole page and a half of Tolkien yeah. describing <laughs> The countryside they're walking through, we get it in four seconds in the movie. Yeah. So. Uh, they cut the whole side toward a Buckland and the Crick Hollow House, uh, which is where uh, Frodo is going to be moving or pretending to be moving. Yeah, this is his cover story. It's his cover story. Uh, and that's where they actually meet up with Mary. He's not on. He, it's Sam, uh, Frodo and Pippin for a while for mm-hmm. most of the journey at the beginning. And then Mary joins them right before they get to the the ferry. Um and I think it makes sense to kind of cut that because they don't have that cover story. So yeah, just yeah. might as well skip over that. Um, so in the book, uh, Pippin and Mary are friends with Farmer Maggot. Yeah. And it's Frodo that used to steal yes, from him. Yes, it's Frodo that used to steal from him. And Frodo is uh, worried about going onto his land because yeah. he used to steal from him when he was a young hobbit. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the movie, well, the movie changes us to have Mary and especially Pippin 
be a little bit more rambunctious. And I think that troublemakers their characters. Yeah. yeah. Like we said, they're immature, they're troublemakers. Um, and I, I think that really makes for a great character arc, especially for Pip. Yeah. Um, over the course of the films to go from kind of this problem child into a responsible adult <laughs> he's, and a warrior. He's the, he fights for Gondor, at least yeah. in the films. I, again, I don't know exactly how that happens in the book. I think it does, but, um, yeah. I, I agree, uh, and, and it just it differentiates the character of the hobbits a little bit, so that they don't mm-hmm. all feel so samey. Not that they all yeah. feel the same, but there's times where they they we've talked about this before in a lot of things where movies will take those characters and crank them up a little bit and mm-hmm. overtune each individual nature of them a little bit. They do it with Gimli by making him more of a caricature of a of a dwarf. And they do it with Pip by Pip has like moments in the mo- in the book that are that sort of troublemaker like yes. uh, getting in the prob full of a took we'll talk about. Um, but the movie just says, yes, that's his character. And again, you can argue that maybe that's more one note and less n- sort of realistic. But I also think in, uh, in, in, in film and even in literature, you take those characters and you elevate certain characteristics mm-hmm. of them to have them play a role in your narrative. Yes. <laughs> I like the dash to the fairy in the movie. Um, in the book, they which is also cool. In the book, Farmer Maggot like smuggles them to the fairy, yeah, which is fine. I, I didn't dislike it. Um, I didn't remember that was what happened, but I think it makes sense in the movie for this action beat. Um, and it is inspired by the book uh, because after Farmer Maggot smuggles them to the fairy, uh, they get on the ferry and they ride it across the river. And then when they get to the other side, they look back and they see a ring wraith waiting. Yeah. Or that had showed up while they were crossing the river back on the other side, like on the dock, like looking for them. And then they say, like, how far till the nearest passing or whatever. And they realize they have to hurry. And so it's inspired by that. Like, it's not like this is out of nowhere that the wraiths were right behind them. Right. It's just in the movie, it's more exciting. And again, I think an action beat there makes sense. Yeah. No, you're totally right. I got to talk about this one. This may be a controversial take. I don't know if it is. Is it a controversial take? It might not be. I But I think it was a great... Because some people love Tom Bombadil, I think. I could be wrong. I know... Do people love Tom Bombadil? I think, I think they do. I really think... And I do, to some extent. I don't want to get people to get the wrong idea. I actually like a lot about Tom Bombadil. But I think it was a really good idea to cut Tom Bombadil, to cut the old woods, mm-hmm. and to cut the Barrow Downs. Yeah. Because those all all completely axed. We go straight from the ferry to Bree. Right. And if you're looking at this story as a whole and saying, okay, what am I going to yeah. chop? Yeah. That's the obvious section. Yeah. I think Tom Bombadil's a lot of fun. I, I would have enjoyed seeing him in the film. Um, yeah, I would have enjoyed seeing how they fit his particular character into the vision that yeah. they had for the film. Yeah. Um, but the thing I love, they're not super pivotal and they're a bit tedious. They're honestly yeah. maybe the most boring chapters in the yeah. book, if you're going to say that, um, other than the Council of Elrond. Council of Elrond's the most boring. <laughs> or at least the longest. Um, but I, the thing I love about Tom Bombadil that I is the only thing I missed is that I love the world building world building and the lore that uh-huh. Tom Bombadil brings to the universe uh, because he's, he's this ancient thing. He calls like the elder, the oldest he's been around forever. Yeah. And we don't really know what he is. He's just this old weird guy who sings songs and it's, it's the mystique of his character mm-hmm. because he, he's like a walking contradiction of this, 
this like overly cheerful, happy-go-lucky dude who's also this ancient, super powerful, maybe the most powerful creature that we've seen or being that we see in the entire other than Sauron maybe like even uh, rivaling like Gandalf and stuff if not more so I I would argue Mm -hmm. um and but we don't know anything about him or why he's that powerful and he doesn't fit into a standard like Gandalf powerful wizard got it like he does powerful cool magic that makes sense Balrog evil demon thing I got it like Tom Bombadil dude that lives in the woods and sings but like commands nature like it's super interesting and it just it creates this depth to the world that i think he's the old man in the wood yeah and 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 i like he's not affected by the ring it doesn't do anything to him when frodo puts the ring on he sees right through it and laughs about it and it's like take that off i can see you like and you're like what why can he what and you but they move and i love the book doesn't explain it doesn't it's like (laughs) he's tom bombadil man yeah that's just who he is and And i love that too in the council of elrond they even like discuss at length just sending the ring to stay yeah. with Tom Bombadil. And that's the thing, because they're like, we got to talk about this plot hole. Why don't we just give it to Tom Bombadil? And they're like, well, we'll find it eventually. Or uh, he doesn't care about that sort of thing. He would probably just lose it because he doesn't yeah. even like he doesn't care. Like, yeah. he's just that's not what he's worried about. Like, he's just on another level. And it's like, it's so interesting, but also not interesting at all. Like, in the <laughs> sense of like following your story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, there were parts of, of that section that I liked, but I. I don't know that Tom, as he appears in the book, would have fit into the movie. I feel like it would have been a little tonally dissonant. He fits more into the Hobbit movies, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Arguably. Um, they're a little more fanciful. But anyways, yeah. I uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I think it I think it makes sense to cut those chapters and just makes it a, a tighter story. Mm-hmm. All right. So the singing. <laughs> Um, again, we maybe have maybe a controversial. Point. I don't know. It I depends know. on who you're talking yeah. to. I think older Tolkien readers more. Yeah. Maybe this would they prefer the singing. But for me, maybe younger readers and not as much. I don't know. I, I don't need all the singing. Yeah. I don't I, I don't like reading it. Either. I hate reading it. I've talked <laughs> about this numerous times. I cannot stand reading songs. It drives me crazy. Um, it For me, one of the biggest things is that it. I can't not read. I try to read it like poetry, but I can't not read it and try to find a tune for it in yeah. my head. Yeah. And it makes reading it very annoying to me. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like I would actually prefer watching it. So if it was more in the movie, I wouldn't hate it. And there are a couple of songs, mm-hmm. but like, I don't mind hearing it. I just don't like reading. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. it's a lot. Yeah. Too. And it's a lot. Like it, yeah. it, it is a lot like I was reading the book and I was like did Tolkien just want to be a songwriter yeah like was that did he just want to do that (laughs) yeah it is a lot and some of them are very long yeah and and some of them are in I mean there's one that's two pages long that's entirely in elfish I'm like you're joking if you think I'm reading this too (laughs) 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 yeah not happening um but Yeah, yeah it was at that moment when I understood like the members of the Inklings who groaned every time Tolkien brought a new chapter of Lord of the Rings to their meetings. Like, Oh my Uh, God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think in the movie, uh, that Aragorn's character is more so many things about Aragorn. And we've talked, we'll talk more a lot about it right here in a couple different segments. One is that I think his character is more consistent in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a bit, arguably a bit more one dimensional, but I think it makes more sense. 
in the book, he when especially as Strider specifically, he speaks in third person a lot, yeah, which is very strange, and and, and it just kind of drops off once he's no longer quote unquote Strider, once he's kind of more Aragorn, um, and he also speaks, uh, he, he's like he has this weird like roguish like humor to him where he uh-huh. like la- there's numerous times of him like being described as like making kind of weird jokes early in the book that just seem because he's also they talk about how grave he is a lot of times in the books yeah and it just seems like his character is kind of all over the place and i guess you could argue that that's interesting and i I could see it done well i could see it reading it it felt weird to me (laughs) i could see it done well in a way where you have that a grave character who uses humor to sort of deal with the situation type of thing. And, and it's sort of like this kind of uh, more uh, up and down type of character. It didn't really strike me as particularly well-crafted in the book. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. I just find found him like totally inconsistent in the book mm-hmm. for a lot of it. Um, and he also has this weird stilted speaking style in the book. Yeah. Where he talks almost more like an elf, which I guess you could argue again. So in the books he was raised and they, I think they get into this later. He was basically raised by Elrond. Yeah. He's like his adopted son, essentially. And so he, him speaking more like an elf makes sense, I guess. Uh, but it's it feels weird. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm comparing this to the movies, which I love dearly. But it, it feels more natural in the movies. And it just feels it makes sense for his character. Whereas in the book, it feels... I'm like, what are you... Why are you talking like that, Aragorn? <laughs> Talk so weird. Classic line. What about second breakfast? Yeah, not in the book. Not in the book at all. Second breakfast. Yeah. Second breakfast is mentioned in The Hobbit. Yes. And then it's mentioned in the prologue of this one or somewhere that they eat six meals a day. Yes. Hobbits do. But the specific scene of Pippin being disappointed that Aragorn does not know about second breakfast <laughs> uh, was, was just created for the movie. Getting back to Aragorn. <laughs> I got a lot about Aragorn. I think it's one of the more interesting changes because it's one of the more bigger. It's one of the bigger important changes in the whole movie and books mm-hmm. movie the book adaptation in the movie uh so let's talk about narsil and in the return of the king storyline i think i prefer the movie's version of this uh in the movie aragorn is reluctant to reclaim his throne yes to claim the throne um he, he he's not sure about it and we'll talk about this a lot I, I talk about this in depth in my final verdict so i'll leave some of that for that um but in the movie, he, uh, he's reluctant to, to claim the throne. Also, Narsil, which is the sword that Isildur used to cut the ring from Sauron's hand, mm-hmm. and then it shattered. The shards of Narsil are kept in Rivendell in the movie, kind of like yeah, in they're a museum like in a museum. Piece. <laughs> yeah, um, and they decide eventually to reforge them. They talk about uh-huh. it in this movie, and then eventually they do reforge them in Return of the King. Yeah, and, and Elrond brings him the sword. In this, in the book. Aragorn is carrying the shards of Narsil yeah. with him, which I think is interesting. And he's actively going to get them reforged in this book. He's taking them to Rivendell so he can get them reforged. And he gets them reforged in this book. Yeah. And the and the sword he has from Rivendell on is uh, Andril Flame of the West. Um I prefer in the movie that this that the sword gets reforged later and he gets it in Return of the King because uh-huh. he's then ready to become the king. Yes. I, I Yeah. I think it doesn't make any sense, first of all, for him to carry around sword shards. Yeah. Um, he needs a weapon. Like, he's a ranger. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I think that the way the movie does it, then the, the sards, the shards slash sword yeah. um, becomes like a nice visual symbol yeah. for his character growth um, into being ready to be yeah. the king. Which again, this book, the books don't do that. The yeah. books, he is always ready to be king. Yes. He is just, I am king. I'm ready to be king. I'm going to be king. I got my sword. I'm going to get it reforged. Now I'm going to be king. Yeah. The movie, it's the other way around. And I think it makes way more sense yeah. that way. And also, it's it makes no sense to me in the movie. Like you said, he's not carrying a sword. Yeah. For the whole first, in, all the way up till Rivendell, he has a piece of a sword and that's it. Yeah. I'm like, what are you, you're just wandering <laughs> around the countryside with no sword or weapons of any sort? Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. I thought that was very strange. Yeah. Um, there's more setup in the movie. Yes. With Saruman uh, being a turncoat and how he's destroying everything and building an army of evil. Yeah. All we get in the book is Gandalf seeing the pits being dug around Isengard yeah. and that the, that the, that he is building it. We get that, but it's one sentence or something yeah. like that. Whereas it, it gets set up numerous times uh, in this one. And they, they, they pulled a lot of that, I think, from the second book to some mm-hmm. extent because that's when the battle with his Urukai happened is mm-hmm. in the second book where they moved it into the first book or the first movie um but yeah if we also get the palantir set up in this one mm-hmm. which is not mentioned in this yes. book at all yes uh, and the palantir plays a por- an important part later mm-hmm. uh, with pippin and i think it was a good idea to introduce it here and kind of be this kind of mystery MacGuffin. we don't know exactly what it does but it connects him to sauron somehow mm-hmm. that sort of thing yeah, in the movie, or in the book, rather, um, Gandalf tells us yeah. that Saruman has turned coat. Um, but I think there's something to be said for seeing it. Yeah. Uh, the flight to the Ford, Fjord, uh, which I think that is called a Ford in the movie, or in mm-hmm. the book, it's just Ford of Brunin. Um, in the book, after Frodo gets stabbed... Frodo's like, okay, but just not feeling great. And they kind of slowly <laughs> trek for 12 days. Yeah. Uh, until the very end and then there's a horse chase in the movie they do this more than i thought they did they do travel yeah, for I a couple remembered. days I, I for whatever reason in my head i had it that like arwen shows up like right after and then just rides away with frodo but they do actually trek for a few days who knows maybe some of that's extended stuff mm-hmm. i don't know um but they trek for a couple days and and then eventually arwen finds them and rides away with uh with frodo and i think that's just I think it just it's more it it just cuts it makes it more urgent like we said earlier yeah. like it just feels more urgent yeah. and again having Frodo being like literally on death's door and like turning into a wraith just makes everything sort of feel more urgent than it does in the book which I don't know I prefer um yeah I think it makes a lot of sense to speed that up um given how injured they make Frodo yeah. in the movie and I think understanding like we we talked about earlier why the ring raids stopped pursuing yeah. them for so long but I, I feel like it's kind of a hard sell yeah yeah i like aragorn sending sam to get the asphalt no that's the horse um whatever it's called uh, the medicinal King's, plant king's foil is what the <laughs> hobbits call it but it's got an elfin name that i can't remember that starts with an a i'm pretty sure uh but he sends sam to go get it and i like that a lot because uh-huh. Uh, well, he sends Sam, him and Sam go look for it because Sam's a gardener and it gives Sam something to do. And it just makes sense yeah. that, hey, Sam, go, you know what this is? He goes, oh, yeah, King's Foil. And they go, Boop, I'll go find it. Yeah. It's a little thing. But I think it's really weird that Aragorn just uses sticks in the in the book. 
So I get it because we talked about he doesn't have a sword in the book. Yeah. So in this moment on Weathertop, when they're fu- or not, it's not on Weathertop. Again, we'll have that um, here. Actually, let's talk about it now. Um, oh, no, I have it in the movie nailed it. Um, but Aragorn in this moment uh, when they're fighting the wraiths near slash on Weathertop uh, in the book, he just shows up with two flaming sticks. Yes. And is swinging them at them and they run away and whatnot. And again, because he doesn't have a sword, which is right. Weird. He has sword bits. But so we also find out at some point that you can't use a normal sword against wraiths that if you do, it destroys the sword. And which I did not realize. Mm-hmm. Um, like you could you could if they have. And it's also not uh, necessarily ever stated that the wraiths are carrying normal swords in the book where they are in the movies so that mm-hmm. we can have sword fights with them. Whereas they for sure have Morgul blades, which are yeah. the ones they stab uh frodo with that they may just it may be possible that in the book they all just have morgul blades and the movie wanted to give them a normal like steel swords and this special dagger that like they use to poke people to kind of set that apart (laughs) i guess is the idea i don't know um but I really thought it was weird that he's not carrying a sword and that he in the book and he just runs around with torches every time he fights the ring rates. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I guess they don't have swords they could stab you with because I feel like having a sword would be handy. I just prefer it in the movie where we get a sword fight and he has a torch, whatever. Um, I liked replacing Glorfindel or Glorfindel. I really don't Doesn't know. Um, I liked replacing him with Arwen. Um, especially for this the sequence, uh, I think the the movie makes her relationship with Aragorn important, um, and obviously, as we've said, Lord of the Rings is a bit lacking in female characters, um, so I think it helps a lot to give her a more prominent role, um, and and having her call the flood too, I think, is good to to show that her having a little bit of that power. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree, because in the book it's Elrond, and it's which is fine, but yeah. it gives Arwen uh, again gives her some some cool stuff to do. <laughs> I like that the movie streamlines the Council of Elrond, as we've discussed, because um, <laughs> there's this great line in the book that I found kind of like ironic and hilarious. Is that he said the book says not all that was spoken and debated in the Council need now be told. And then literally we get thirty pages <laughs> of discussion. From the Council of Elrond, where they tell every story yeah. that could ever happen. They talk about Moria, they talk about Gollum, they talk about Saruman, they talk about Gondor, they talk about everything. Like, yeah. they talk about everything. Um, and, and the movie kind of streamlines that and just gives us the important part. Um, and also, the movie moved, they talk about the last alliance of elves and men and the battle uh, with Sauron mm-hmm. in the Council of Elrond. They yes. tell that story, and the movie takes that and whoop, like, pulls it, it and gives beginning. us that as yeah. the prologue, yes. basically, which I think was a good idea Yeah, um, to kind of set the stage for what's going on, and then adds a little bit more to it with the ring being found by... Mm-hmm. Again, which is all that's kind of discussed to some extent in the in the Council. Um, so in the, the movie, we see Gimli try to take a whack at the ring with his axe. Um, and I like that the movie actually shows us that the ring can't be destroyed by by normal means. Because um, they say it in the book. They're like, oh, well, you can't smash it, and it can only be melted in the fires of Mount Doom. Yeah. But they, sh- they show us in the movie. Yeah. 
Um, so there's not that element of like, well, did you try yeah. though? Yeah, Gimli's like, let's do this. Nope, not working <laughs> out, bud. A uh, great line that's not in the book. There's a somewhat similar analogy at the very end of the book, but it's not remotely as good. Uh, Boromir, one does not simply walk into mortar. Yes. I mean, it's reached its achieved meme status. Uh, <laughs> but that's not in the that's not in the book. Uh, there's a line later where. He says it's something like it's folly when he's when he's trying to get the ring from Frodo. He's like, it's folly to have a a, a, a hobbit just think he can walk into Mordor or something. Yeah, yeah. So it's like kind of probably where they pulled that from. Yeah. Uh, but the simple line, one does not simply walk into Mordor, establishes to us, the viewer, everybody there knows. Yeah. Everybody knows the danger of Mordor and all that sort of stuff and how difficult this would be. But as viewers, we don't necessarily know. So Warner being like. One does not simply walk in the mortar. It establishes <laughs> that, makes it very clear. I also like uh, right on that scene um, that uh, the "You have my sword and my axe and my bow" that yeah. sort of thing with uh, with with um, Aragorn, Gimli, and uh, Legolas. In the book, Elrond basically just picks people to go mm-hmm. after the council, which I thought was weird. Like Frodo's, like I'll take it, I'll take the ring, and then they're like, "All right, we'll figure out who's going with you in another meeting after this." It's like, why didn't you just do it now? <laughs> and basically, Elrond's like, I picked Gimli and Legolas and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, cool. Um, I like them volunteering. Yes. Yes. And, and it just makes more sense to me. I don't know. It's more epic. Yeah. 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 Um, I love the the short little scene where Boromir is teaching the hobbits to sword fight. Yeah. It's a, a lighter moment for him where we can see that he's not just this kind of creepy guy yeah. who wants the ring. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it gives a nice little light moment. And and adding on to that, that scene, that's when the Crabane scene happens where mm-hmm. the, the birds, uh, the Crabane from Dunland um, show up. Uh, and in the book, it's only like Aragorn and Frodo, I think, that are awake when they show up and see them. Or It's only yeah, like two most characters. Of most of them are asleep and it's like in the evening or something. And I like in the movie how they're all awake uh, and it's daytime and it's bright. They're all this happens is they're all like having fun. Like they're again, Boromir's teaching the hobbits a sword fight and they have a fire going and they're just kind of hanging yeah. out. And Cooking it's like a this, bunch of food. Yeah, it's in this moment where they're they're like they're on a fun camping trip. You know, like mm-hmm. this is like the beginning. They just started. And nothing's got nothing bad has happened yet. And they're like, "Woo, this is going to be fun. And this immediately reminds him. No, 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 no. There's shit. There's evil bird spies coming hide. Yeah. Immediately sets the tone the like this isn't narrator fun. voice. It would not be fun. And it would not be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I, I, I like that. Um, I think having Frodo solve the riddle at the gates of Moria was yeah. a good swap because uh, it's Gandalf. It's Gandalf that does it in who the just book. oh has an epiphany yeah. and realizes that it's a riddle. And we we talked about it that it makes a lot of sense for it to be Frodo because it calls back to the riddle scene in The Hobbit, where yeah. Bilbo where plays Hobbits the riddle like game. Riddles. Yeah, Hobbit's like riddles, and he plays a riddle game with Gollum, and so Frodo is the one who realizes it's a riddle, and I, I think that's a perfectly mm-hmm. smart change. That I'm a little surprised Tolkien wouldn't... It seems like a kind of obvious yeah. thing that Tolkien yeah. would have. Yeah, of course, Bilbo's nephew, the riddle master himself, Bilbo, his nephew is the one who solves the riddle. Fool of a took. Um... It's in the movie. It's in the book. It's in mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Gandalf does call Peregrine a fool of a took. Um, but in the book, it happens earlier in Moria. He knocks a thing into a well. Drops, kicks a stone into a Something happens. Yeah. He knocks something into a well, makes a bunch of noise, and then they hear tapping. Yeah. And they think it's hammering. 
and then it stops and they don't hear anything for like another day or two. In the movie, they cut all that downtime in between yeah. and just that happens and then oh, they hear the drums. And I think it's just much tighter. It makes more sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's, it speeds up the, the, the development of the action. And it, then it, it, uh, and then on, onto that, the action that happens after that, the battle of Balin's Balin's tomb, it's got the name, the room has a name in the book that I cannot remember a dwarf name yeah. for like a library basically, or something like that. Um, the location though, description is like straight out of the book with the stone plinth in the middle mm-hmm. with the single beam of light coming down, uh, off of that big main hall that they're in. It's like spot on. There's another door in the, in the book and in the movie, there's only one door, but other yeah. than that, it's pretty much identical to what I imagine reading the book. But the reason I call this better in the movie is because the action scene in the book's fine, but it's an action scene in a book. Yeah. You cannot really compete with an action scene in a movie yeah. where you get to see all these characters do this stuff. And they just do a lot more fun stuff. You know, we get to see Legolas in action. We get to see Aragorn. Mm-hmm. We get to see everybody doing their things. We get to see the hobbits doing stuff, which they do fight. And then, we, you know, they kill a few orcs and that sort of thing. And they yell for the Shire. I guess that's the only thing that they could have done that I would have liked in the movie that would have kicked it up one more notch is have the hobbits yell, Shire! And then jump <laughs> in, that sort of thing. Which I think they do at some point, but... I don't remember mm-hmm. it in that scene. Um, but overall, that's just a, a fantastic action sequence. Oh, yeah. And we actually see the cave troll in the movie. Yes. They mention that they have cave trolls or trolls in the book, but they don't actually fight it, that I recall. Because the person that stabbed, the thing that stabs yeah. uh, Frodo is not a troll. It yeah. is a orc captain, they yes. say. Um, but, and the line also... Is because I think Gandalf says they have trolls or something in mm-hmm. the book, but I, Boromir's line is they have a cave troll. It's great, just his exasperation. I, I just love everything <laughs> about that scene. It's one of my favorite action scenes in like any movie uh, until we get to Two Towers. But um, I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I will say in the book, one thing I did enjoy about that sequence was Tolkien's use of onomatopoeia. The yeah. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah, yeah. I really because the, that. that. So that's the drums. Yeah, yeah, drums the, in the deep. Yeah, he, it, sometimes it's boom, but usually it's doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's great. Uh, I think the orcs being afraid of the Balrog makes sense. In the movie, yeah. Yeah, in the book, they're kind of like, like, not that they're with it, but they're, it's kind of like convenient that it's there. It seems almost of. like they're, they just kind of get out of its way, but they don't run away from yeah. it, it seems yeah. like. Because the Balrog is like a crazy primordial ancient spirit demon thing that they belched forth from literally they dug too deep and woke up this ancient evil spirit uh demon thing and i think it makes sense that that's not something that the orcs are like friends with yeah like they're also like holy shit and so in the movie they get surrounded by the orcs slash goblins whatever they are um And and they think they're all dead, and then the Balrog shows up, and their orcs are like, "Get the fuck out of yeah. here!" And I think that just makes more sense. Than, and the the scene where they just like skitter away, yeah, skitter like uh, like cockroaches yeah. up the wall, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about a small change yes. to a very iconic line. Yes, uh, we the, mentioned this earlier yes. with Jenna. The in the book, Gandalf says, "You cannot pass." Yeah. In the movie, they change that to "You shall not pass," mm-hmm. and it's a really subtle, a really subtle linguistic shift. Yeah. But it takes the the meaning of it, the impression that we get from "You can't do this," like you're not capable. 
to I won't let you do this, yes. which is super important. Yeah, it's much more impactful for Gandalf, and it gives him a, a more powerful send-off. Yeah. Not, like, a lot more, but, I mean, because... But, yeah, a slightly more powerful send-off uh, by by just sli- just shifting, what, one word? Uh, in the book, to get up into trees in Lothlorien, they just climb ladders. Mm-hmm. Every, every, numerous times they discussed climbing these ladders up and up. In the movie, once we get specifically to the city that I can't remember the name of, it's got a name. It's not Lothlorien. The city of Galadriel within yeah. Lothlorien. It's like Car or something. In the movie, the the trees have like spiral staircases going up around the tree trunks, mm-hmm. which I think that the movie captures sort of the mystical elven beauty of Lothlorien really well. But I think yes. it adds to it with the spiral staircases up the trees, it feels more elegant and mm-hmm. more uh, just magical. Whereas climbing ladders, I might look kind of awkward and yeah, not as, you know, practical. Yeah. And I, I get the ladders, especially on the edges of like, the forest. Like when they're at the yeah. scout or yeah. whatever. You, yeah. you can pull them pull up. Pull it up, yeah. But the, the spiral staircases are yeah, because they they have look a, amazing. Because the city, they have a wall around it. Like, yeah. they're, you know, it's like a protected, they don't need to worry about Again, this when they're out in the field or something, a ladder makes perfect sense. But yeah, the the spirals up the up the tree, it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that Legolas and Gimli's friendship. I felt like the movies, at least so far, and again, we've only read Fellowship. Yeah, I felt like the, there was a little more focus on it in the movies, and it's like more of a slow burn. It is definitely. Um, and the, I felt like in the books they were kind of suddenly just friends after well, leaving. They La say Florian. that they leave Lothlorien yeah. and they're in the canoe together, and and they say that yeah. they become fast friends or something. Yeah, like, like that. they mentioned that they spent a lot of time together, but we don't really get to see that friendship yeah. develop like we, we do in the movie. That is interesting that in the book that they don't mention or it doesn't happen in the movie is that while they're in Lothlorien, Legolas starts taking Gimli with him. Yeah, when he's going to like hang out with elves, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and we don't see that, but. It, the movies decide for a slower setup to their friendship that's a little more antagonistic and builds mm-hmm. to the final movie, which or second movie, I guess, really. Yeah. Because they think they're going to die at Helm's Deep, but that's when it kind of, that, you know. Side by side. Side by with side a with a friend. Oh, <laughs> oh, I could do that. So in the book, we think, and we don't know for sure, but it was both of our uh, sort of reading of it, that we get a tease to the fell beasts Mm -hmm. that the Nazgul ride in later books and movies, which are the flying creatures that replace their horses. I always call them wormy dragons. Yeah. They're specifically, uh, it's funny because they say fell beasts, and I assume that was just like them calling them like foul beasts type mm-hmm. of thing but that's actually what they're called hmm. if you like look up the wiki it's fell beasts one word um and it's these big flying lizardy kind of rapey yeah. um or wing wyvern type creature things uh and we uh, when they're on the river at the end of this book some black thing flies up on at them in in the evening or something and i can't tell what it is yeah and there's but they 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 sense it feels like a wraith they or at least the description of what they're feeling is the same that we get when we're near wraiths earlier on where it's kind of like a dementor like they feel yeah. scared and blah 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 um and air legolas shoots it with an arrow and it flies away or something yeah. or, or or it crashes into the river i can't remember something happens it he hits it with an arrow and it's gone and we don't see it ever again 
And I think it's smart in the movie to save those yes. for later movies I to have that to ramping up. I If they could have figured out a way to tease it in this one that didn't give away the game mm-hmm. and what this was going to be later, yeah, it would have been tough I, to do. I'm not do, sure but, you could do it quite as subtly in a visual medium. Yeah, because in the book, he can just not tell us stuff. Yes. I, some black thing flew over, Legolas shot an arrow at it, and we don't know what it was. And you're like, well, shit, what was that? In the movie, you have to see something. Yeah. So, like, they would have to figure out a way to do it where we don't really know what we're seeing. But um, I think it was a good call to cut uh, the the moment um, when Frodo wanders off. Yeah. Um, there's a, a scene. He's where going the... to decide what they're going to do. Yes. In the, at least in the book. Yeah, this in is the how book, plays he's out. going to decide what they're going to do, and then it cuts back for a while to the rest of the company, like, all sitting around and talking about what they think he might yeah, do. and, like, what they're going to do, yeah. and it's like, well, we should do this, and and, and and he's like, it's literally just Aragorn and them all discussing, like, expositing what they think Frodo's going to do and what's going to happen. Yeah. And it, it just, it feels weird. Yeah. And it feels unnecessary, like, and the movie just cuts that all completely, kind of, and it I think it makes a lot more sense. Um, they also cut... Frodo needing to make that decision at all, really, because mm-hmm. in the book, he's deciding, are we going to go east across the river towards Mordor or are we going to go west down to Gondor is mm-hmm. the decision in the book and take the ring to Gondor and then try to get to Mordor, which is what Boromir and some of the other people are calling for. But Aragorn's like, we should probably just go straight to Mordor yeah, um, and try to sneak into Mordor. Uh, and so he's trying to figure out that decision, whereas the movie implies that they're just going to go. To Mordor. Yes. They're going to wait until nightfall to hide from orcs, which I don't think makes sense. I Because orcs are supposed to not move during the day. Right. He says the eastern... At one point in the movie, Aragorn says the eastern bank is patrolled by orcs. We'll wait for the cover of nightfall. And I'm like, but orcs don't go out in sunlight. I don't... Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So that doesn't make any right. sense. But Except for the... The, or- the Uruks. The Uruks, but we don't know about we them We don't know yet. about them yet. So, uh, yeah. Um, although at one point... Oh... You know, maybe that's what it is, because there is that line of dialogue between... But he says orcs and not uruks. There's a line of dialogue between Celeborn and Aragorn as they're leaving Lothlorien, where he says something about orcs patrolling moving during the day. But I thought, yeah, he, was ta- yeah. but I thought he was specifically talking about the uruks coming from, from Isengard, which would be on the West Bank. I don't, I don't know, know, unless somebody can clarify that. I thought that line with Aragorn saying we got to wait for night for the orcs to go away was like, it that's the opposite. It seems like it doesn't make sense, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, but I, they cut them talking about it. I think that makes sense. I love the scene that they add of Aragorn saying goodbye to Frodo. Mm-hmm. That is not in the book. Frodo just slips away and does not talk to Aragorn maybe ever again until the end of the movies uh, or until the end of the books. I don't know. Um and I, I just, I, I love that goodbye. And that's where he says, I would have gone with you to the very end into the fires of Mordor. Yeah. And, and it just, it, it reaffirms to us the type of person that Aragorn is. Uh, and it gives them a nice moment because they are, and we've talked about this, that the movie chose to focus primarily on those two as our two main protagonists. It is Frodo's story and it is Aragorn's story. Yeah. Primarily. Um, and I like that. I just really like that moment between them. Um, and then at the very end, I love that when Sam finally gets down, he runs down. The same thing happens in the boat. In the He runs down into the water and tries to swim after the boat in the book and in the movie and starts drowning because <laughs> he can't <laughs> swim. And they mention in the in the prologue, actually, that hobbits are not swimmers. Um uh, but Frodo pulls him out of the water, and I like in the in the movie he just pulls him up into the boat. In the book, 
they like go back to the shore and t- it yeah. doesn't matter. But uh, in the movie, they they recall or they they touch back on the line that he said earlier in the book and in the movie, which is he said, I made a promise to Gandalf. He said, don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. And he says that earlier in the movie and he says it earlier in the book. Mm hmm. But then he doesn't repeat it in at the end of the book, but he repeats it again here. And I think it just really drives home yes. Sam's commitment yes, and why he's so committed uh, to staying with Frodo. And I think that whole conversation between them just works better in the movie than it does in the book. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think and we'll, we'll discuss this more yeah. in more detail in our Two Towers episode. Um, but I think it was a smart choice to move the battle with the with the Urukai and Boromir's death and Merry and Pippin getting taken to the end of this fellowship story um I'm assuming it's at the beginning of the two towers it is I I I don't know towers in years yeah I don't know all of the details but it absolutely is yeah um Boromir dying and them fighting some Urukai is definitely takes place at the beginning yeah. I don't know, again, all the details of it, um, but they moved that to the end of this one. I think it just it gives us a much more finished mm-hmm. uh, final. Uh, it gives us the final action scene, you know, yes. where they get to fight a bunch of orcs. It sends us out on both a low and a high note with Boromir dying, but not all hope being lost for our mm-hmm. for our protagonists as they set off to try to rescue Merry and Pippin. It gives us a sense of mystery of what's going to happen, mm-hmm. whereas if we just kind of ign- just follow Frodo like the book does and don't know what happened with, because they literally, we just don't know what's going yeah, on with yeah, Aragorn and them. Know. We just, we're just following Frodo. We don't know what's happening with them. Um, we would be like, what, why are we not? Yeah. We're just abandoning the, the, the other characters. A, a better tease for yeah. the next story. And just gives us a nice wrap up with all of our characters in this one. So, yeah. All right. That was it for better in the movie. Let's do the movie. Nailed it. So we can get to this final verdict. Because this is already pushing three hours. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. The entire opening of the film. The movie nailed it. Yeah. Uh, the, sh- the feeling of the Shire. It is spot on to what you imagine <laughs> reading the prologue uh, and some of the opening chapters. It literally is exactly what I imagine the Shire to yeah. look like. Yeah. Uh, Bilbo has a line. Um, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. Yeah. And that is verbatim Straight from out the, of book. the book. Uh, the fireworks, I think, are spot on from the from the book that happened at Bilbo's party. A lot of them are identical, uh, including the dragon firework, uh, which is described as one last surprise in honor of Bilbo. The lights went out. A great smoke went up. It shaped itself like a mountain seen in the distance. That's the only part that's not the same. We don't see the mountain. Uh, and began to glow at the summit. It spouted green and scarlet flames. Out flew a red golden dragon. Not life-size, but terribly lifelike. Fire came from his jaws. He glared down. There was a roar, and he whizzed three times over the head of the crowd. They all ducked. Many fell flat on their faces. The dragon passed over like an express train, turned into a somersault, and burst over the bywater with a deafening explosion, which is exactly what happens Mm-hmm. basically with yeah. the dragon and i you know there's a couple others fireworks specifically that they pulled a, right out of the book to kind of put on the screen which i enjoyed um bilbo's speech 
Yeah. Um, they shortened it a, a little bit. They shortened bit. it a bit, but... Um, but a lot of it is there. He lists all the hobbits. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, proud proud feet. Yeah, proud foots. Yeah. He says proud foots, and then the, the old guy with his... Literally with his feet up on the table, he yells, proud feet! Exactly yeah. how it happens in the book. Um, and then uh, another iconic line. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Shade. This was unexpected and rather difficult. <laughs> there was some scattered <laughs> clapping. My favorite moment in that of that in the movie is the cut to Gandalf. Yeah. There's a quick cut to Gandalf after that line as everybody struggles with it and he just kind of smiles coyly and looks around because <laughs> obviously Gandalf understands it. Uh, the moment where Gandalf confronts Bilbo about leaving the ring, uh, the whole scene plays out pretty much identically. But the part in particular that I love is the way that he fills the room uh, as he after Bilbo kind of like refuses and says, after all, why shouldn't I keep it? Uh, It's mine. You know, it's mine. I can I'll keep it if I want to keep it. Gandalf eyes. This is from the book. Gandalf's eyes flashed. It will be my turn to get angry soon. He said, if you say that again, I shall. Then you will see Gandalf the gray uncloaked. He took a step towards the hobbit and he seemed to grow taller and menacing. His shadow filled the little room, which is exactly what happens. And Bilbo backed away to the wall, breathing hard, his hand clutching at his pocket. You know, just again, just ripped out of the page and put on the screen, uh, which is, is always fun. And the line, keep it secret, keep it safe uh, to Frodo. When Sam, after he pulls Sam through the window, oh, okay. he pulls Sam through the window and Fro- Sam Sam pleads to Frodo, don't let him turn me into anything unnatural. That line is right out of the book because yeah. he's worried he's going to turn him into a toad or something, uh, which is great. Uh, we talked a little bit about their first encounter with the ring. Yeah. Um, there was maybe a little bit better in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's also of it. kind of pretty spot on. Yeah. Which um, I and one thing that was included in the movie, which I would not have necessarily expected yeah. to be included was the Wraith trying to like sniff them out. Yeah. Cause they make numerous note of that in the book about how yeah. they sniffing. You can hear them sniffing and they're like, what the heck? And that you hear that in the movie, which is a little detail that they included. Uh, we read it earlier, talked about it, but Aragorn's description at the Prancing Pony, you can literally mm-hmm. see, is exactly what you see in the film. Yeah. Against the wall, pipe in his mouth, his eyes underneath the hood, peering out, identical to what the description in the book is. Short of maybe like the color of his cloak slightly, mm-hmm. but... Um, the setup of fake beds for the hobbits and then the ring wraiths falling for it. Yeah. Stabbing fake beds. Which is fun in the movie. You could also uh, honestly maybe put this in better in the movie because we get to see it and the yeah. way it's, the way it's yeah. edited where we're not sure. It's kind of a little trick that they do with the editing where we think maybe they're in the beds that the wraiths are sneaking up on. Uh, but they do the exact same thing where they stuff the beds to make it look like they're there and then mm-hmm. the, they come in the next morning and see that the wraiths have been in there and ripped the beds apart. But we actually get to see it happen yeah. in the movie. Yeah. On Weathertop, this is kind of spot on to the description in the book. When he puts the ring on mm-hmm. and the wraith comes at him with the, the dagger. And then on top of that, the um, uh, the only difference here is that <laughs> it's not on Weathertop. It's beside it. And now the reason I think they did that, that they moved it to the top of Weathertop, mm-hmm. is because we don't get the battle with Gandalf there. Yeah. So Gandalf fights him on top of Weathertop. And I think... If we had had that fight, maybe they move this somewhere else. Yeah. But since they we didn't, I think they're like, we want this set piece on Weathertop because it's this cool, like, old ruined fort. Instead of having it in the hill on the mm-hmm. on the ground beside it, it just it just makes more sense. Immediately, this is he slips the ring over his finger in the book, and this is I'm comparing this to the in the movie when he puts the ring on on top of Weathertop. 
He slipped the ring on the forefinger of his left hand. Immediately, though everything else remained as before, dim and dark, the shapes became terribly clear. He was able to see beneath their black wrappings. There were five tall figures, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing. In their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes. Under their mantles were long gray robes. Upon their gray hairs were helms of silver. In their haggard hands were swords of steel. So they did have steel swords. Okay, so I was wrong about that. Their eyes fell on him and pierced him as they rushed towards him. Desperate, he drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand, and that's because it's that barrel white sword thing that again, yeah. that we talked about earlier. Um, two of the figures halted. The third was taller than the others. His hair was long and gleaming. On his helm was a crown, and that's the Witch King of Angmar from later. In one hand, he held a long sword. In the other hand, a knife. Both the knife and the hand held it glowed with a pale light. He sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. At that moment, Frodo threw himself forward on the ground. He heard himself crying aloud, O Elbereth Gilthoniel. At the same time, he struck at the feet of his enemy. A shill cry rang out in the night, and he felt a pain like a dart of poison ice pierce his left shoulder. Even as he swooped, he caught as through a swirling mist, which again, that the swirling mist is kind of what everything looks like when he puts yeah. the ring on. A glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness, which is exactly what happens, like... Aragorn leaps kind of over him mm-hmm. in front of him uh, with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. And then Frodo passes out. But again, to me, that scene is like exactly what I imagine. Yeah. When yeah. you're watching the movie. And then the blade turns into smoke once uh, Aragorn picks it up in the book. It kind of. Uh, Bilbo's trolls. Yeah. Make they, an appearance. They do make an appearance, which they're talked about in the book and they mm-hmm. show up in the movie. I think they're more so in the extended version. I'm not sure if they show up in the regular cut they might i, I don't, don't know, for yeah, sure I don't about know. Them. uh this is a little thing but uh <laughs> when frodo's on the horse uh glorfindel turns to the horse and says norlim asphaloth which uh is what arwen says to the horse when she's riding mm-hmm. it and the horse's name is asphaloth and i believe i would have to guess that norlim probably means like make haste or something like yeah. that um but it's Giddy uh, up. <laughs> they use a lot of the exact uh elven phrases at different points throughout the book and again it's just little details yeah, that just yeah. is nice to have like yeah just used what they wrote <laughs> why, why change it yeah why wouldn't you yeah uh the ford of bruin and flood that wipes out the wraiths and their horses um and even like the horses are in the water yeah which and that's straight out of the book described in the book the only difference is that it's not gandalf that did it in yeah the movie. or at least it's not said that it's gandalf yeah. that did it in the movie i guess it could have been um, we talked about it earlier, but Bilbo's moment with the ring where he, the jump scare, yeah. <laughs> we read it. So yeah, that's spot on out of the movie. Other than it being as frightening as it is. Yes. <laughs> um, elves being pompous shits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they can't, can't tell mortals apart. Um, one elf. Yeah. He, said, he says to sheep, other sheep, no doubt appear different. Yeah. When somebody questions, I think it's one of the, the uh, Hobbit. I can't remember who's talking to him. It's at Rivendell. Somebody's talking yeah. to one of them and they're like, how do you not tell us apart? And yeah, to sheep, other sheep, no doubt appear different. It's like, all right, man. What a racist <laughs> shitty thing to say. Yeah. So they don't have those great lines, yeah. but them being kind of racist, pompous dicks comes through yeah, at I times. Think they, yeah, they got the spirit not of it. quite as much, but uh, at times it does. Uh, Gandalf is kept on top of Orthanc, and like we said, he sees all the pits of the orcs' armies from up mm-hmm. there. It's like the one moment we see of uh, Isengard and what's going on there Yeah, is when Gandalf's on top of it, and we get that exact shot in the movie. Um, Frodo's line, Yeah, I will take it. I will take the ring into Mordor, though I do not know the way. Exactly verbatim from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Bilbo, after that, gives uh, Frodo Sting in the, the mithril armor. Yes. Um, which is happens kind of exactly the same in the movie. And then also, 
the book describes all of the equipment that the different members of the party have, and they all have exactly the same. The only difference. So Gandalf has Glamdring and his staff. Aragorn has uh, the only di- one of the, I guess the other difference is that he doesn't have Andril, which he mm-hmm. does in the book. He just has a sword. Um, Frodo or uh, Legolas has his bow and a, and a dagger. Although in the movie, he has two daggers so he can dual wield them like a badass. Uh, Gimli has his axe. Uh, Boromir has his sword and shield and the horn. And then the hobbits have their daggers. Yeah. So, but it, everybody has the kind of the same same type of gear. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're on the mountain, then the the rocks falling and the fell voices on yeah. the air. That's out of the book. Um, a slight improvement that the movie shows that it's Saruman doing it. Yeah, actively. Uh, yeah, doing I think it. it makes him more of an impactful villain. Like we said earlier, he plays more of a role throughout, yes. and and yes. it makes sense setting him up as sort of the main villain of this movie, with Sauron being the sort of yeah removed further down the road villain uh, legolas runs over the snow like a dickhead in the movie and you disagree <laughs> i wanted a to put bit. this in better in the book because he had thought he was more of a dick he was in the book like in the movie okay picture in the movie where everybody is like down in the four feet of snow and yeah. he's just walking over the top of it and in the book it's the same thing except he like skips past them yeah. and he's like farewell i'm going to find the sun <laughs> yeah. and then waves at them yeah you're right <laughs> what and a dick i i do kind of yeah agree i don't i don't think that movie actually does quite capture quite well as much how much of a dick the elves tend to be yeah there's a little bit of it but the book really leans into man these elves are dickheads <laughs> uh the moon door outside of yeah. Moria is identical. And there's a drawing in the book, so obviously... Yeah. It's funny because I was reading the description in the book and I was like, man, that's like spot on from the movie. <laughs> and then I turned the page and there's a drawing and I'm like, oh, it is literally... They just took the drawing yeah. and put it in yeah. the movie. Um, and then Gandalf, like, trying to get in. He and, says all the same yeah, stuff. saying all this impressive stuff. He's and like, whoa, just... whoa, whoa, whoa. And then the last moment, he throws his staff on the ground and just flops on the ground. It's like, <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in the book and the movie. Uh, once they get into Moria and they're fighting the Balrog, the entire Balrog scene is basically identical. Uh, the, the line that's, that's a great, like, air, Gandalf being gandalf kind of line of this foe is beyond any of you yeah just run uh he says that in the book and in the movie and i uh once we actually get to the fight on the bridge other than you shall not pass it's literally moment for moment beat for beat almost Mm -hmm. identical the balrog pulls up its flaming sword and the whip in the other hand uh it swings the sword at him gandalf puts his uh, glam drink up and blocks it and the sword explodes uh, and then he he yells at him and says, "Flame of Anor, uh, yeah, yeah, light of the blah blah blah, blah uh, something will not avail you. Go back to the shadow. All of that is verbatim. The things he yells at him are verbatim until he yells, "You shall not pass," and then slams his staff in the ground, uh, which he does, and then it cracks a bridge. And then even the same thing where it falls, mm-hmm. and then as it's falling at the last the minute, whip. it whips and grabs him, and then the fly you fools. Everything everything about one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. Is I that's one of those moments where you have as many complaints as you want as a book reader about things that they changed, but I can't imagine watching this movie, seeing like one of the most iconic because in the book it's like yes. it reads like this is the moment of the book, basically. Yes. And being able to see that so faithfully adapted to the screen has to just you're like, yes, <laughs> like that's it, like that's it. You didn't change a thing. Now maybe some 
nitpicker was like, it's you cannot pass. But like, just accept that it's better saying you shall not pass and get <laughs> over it. But uh, that scene is, yes, it's just perfect. Um, Speaking of perfection. <laughs> what a transition. Kate Blanchett. As Galadriel, Kate Blanchett is a queen. Yes. Um, dark Kate Blanchett is my sexuality. <laughs> yes. Uh, so she's perfect. Um, and then there's a couple other little things. Um, your quest stands, yeah. but on the edge of a knife. Stray but a little, and it yeah. will fail. Um, and then the way she eyes them down, yeah. we get like the super close up of her eyes, yeah. and that's out of the book because um, there's this moment where she just deeply stares at, at each, each of, of them. them and you can like the implication is that she's like reading their minds she's almost. reading their minds and also she's offering they say later which isn't necessarily what happens in the movie as much although i think boromir talks about it they she's basically offering them in their head a way out yes and saying uh you can go do this you could return to like to sam you can go back to the shire and just be happy yeah oh well, you want why don't you just do that like like tempting them to leave yeah. to try to figure out weak the weak links in the in the fellowship type of thing and that yeah the movie exactly kind of kind of catches that that feeling and i think uh, following on to that the mirror setting mm-hmm. is identical to how it's described in the book she walks down into this glade in the trees down the steps and there's the stream uh, that like the, that runs out yeah. of the rock with the water and the basin and everything about that other than Sam not being there. Yeah. And some of the vision is slightly different. Um, but the moment where Frodo offers to give her the ring mm-hmm. is identical yeah, to how I, it is I in the book. The her, dialogue's slightly her, yeah, different, her but most of it. All Shall Love Me and Despair speech has changed slightly, I but think. But they pull like the highlights yes. of it and then tweak a couple parts here and there. Like again, the All Shall Love Me on, and Despair, uh, they would have not a. a not a, an evil lord, but a, a yeah. righteous queen or something like that, whatever she says. Um, and it's just, yeah, all of it is just fantastic. Um, and she even, so the only slight difference too is in the book, it's uh, the reason she's all green is because there's light emanating from her ring of power, mm-hmm. which has a name that I can't remember. Um, but her ring of power, it, it's emanating onto her and that, but they capture that in the movie and yeah. she is like that. That's why she kind of turns green and gets all, all, all strange looking. Yeah. And now at last it comes, you will give me the ring freely in place of the dark Lord. You will set up a queen. I think she says you shall have a queen, which I think is yeah. maybe better arguably. And I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night fair as the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain. Dreadful as the storm and the lightning stronger than the foundations of the earth, which she definitely says all shall love me. And despair, which, yeah, that's that's a great line. And then and then she kind of falls back down from that. And then she says, I pass the test. I will diminish and go into the West and remain glad real, which yes. again is exactly from the book. So. And we see the eye finally. Yeah. In the in the book, he sees it in the mirror, mm-hmm. whereas we've kind of been peppering it throughout in the movie, which I think is a good choice. To yeah. Kind of yeah. Repeatedly kind of hit that and set that up as this impending scary thing. But uh, it does. I was worried it wasn't going to show up at all in the book, and that was just like a movie thing. Mm-hmm. But it does show up in the book. They describe the eye, uh, and he sees the eye. Yes, but the eye, the eye. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, and Galadriel's swan boat. She's got a bitch in swan boat. That's uh, that's out of the book. And in the movie, it's even better because it's just her on it, yeah. not celebrating. She doesn't have to share it with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, for the movie nailed it. Uh, when he gets to Amon Hen at the end. Uh, he puts the ring on to run away from Boromir. 
Oh, wait, did I skip something? I mean, we can talk about those together. Oh, yeah, I skipped it. Yeah, the Boromir scene with Frodo is basically spot on. Yeah, like it might not be verbatim, but... A lot of it is. Yeah. They cut parts, and it's a little bit longer in the book, yeah. but a lot of the dialogue is identical. And there's one moment in particular that struck me to how similar it was, is that the very end of it, um, after he realizes what he did, and he's recovering from it, so all this stuff happens and he, and he tries to take it from him and he tries to jump on him and Frodo puts the ring on and runs away. Miserable trickster, he shouted. Let me get my hands on you. Now I see your mind. You'll take the ring to Sauron and sell us all, which he says basically that. Yeah. You've only waited your chance to leave us in lurch. Curse you and all halflings to death and darkness. And he says curse you a few more times. Then catching his foot on a stone, he fell sprawling and lay upon his face. For a while he was still as if his own curse had struck him down. Then suddenly he wept. He rose, and this is the line I'm talking about. He rose and passed his hand over his eyes, dashing away the tears. What have I done? Yeah. Which is exactly what Sean Bean does in the moment. He stands up and he like wipes his face. He's like, what have I done? Frodo. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, it's like spot on. And, but then after Frodo runs away, he goes up on Amon Hin, and which is what same thing. And he sees and he like sees all the way to Barador, which is mm-hmm. the, the dark tower. Um, and it kind of flash. It sort of zooms and zooms all the way into the eye. And it's how it's described in the book, and it's also what we see in the yeah. movie. So, yeah. All right. That was it for the movie Nailed It. We're so close. We got a few odd ends we need to talk about, and yeah, then we were going to do things. our final verdict. So we're very close. The end is nigh. So hobbits give everyone else presents on their birthdays. This is a good tradition, and we should do this instead of getting presents you just then you don't you have to buy more presents mm-hmm. but you get more presents i guess right, it's well, kind of the your same your birthday's coming up so well i can't be the only one <laughs> the system only works like socialism the system only works if everybody buys in <laughs> something that i love about middle earth's world building i thought of this while i was reading the the prologue uh, is that Tolkien took the time to construct entire languages for the elves. Yeah. And then all of the hobbits' names <laughs> sound like he tossed country-sounding words yeah. into a hat and then pulled them out and combined them together at yeah. random. It literally, Bulger's... Uh, <laughs> like proud proud feats and brandy bucks. And <laughs> yeah, it's literally just nonsense It's just words. words. Yeah. But that's what he's, that's exactly yeah. what, it, it's befitting of their stature, I yeah. think, is what he's going for. But yeah, definitely seems like a difference in uh, effort involved. <laughs> um, So movie Hobbits, Um, this isn't mentioned in the book. No. But uh, in the movie, Hobbits all have very curly hair. Yeah. Um, And all of the elves and humans have either straight or kind of like. Wavy. Soft waves yeah. in their hair, Um, which is a stereotype. Yeah. Uh, curly hair seen as less refined, seen as messy, uncouth, less elegant yeah. as compared to like straight hair or like controlled waves. Yeah. Like like Boromir and Aragorn yeah. sort of like wavy. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. It is. They literally all of the all of the hobbits have that kind of curly mm-hmm. hair, which is. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, the barman uh, in uh, Bree, his name is uh, Butterbur. Butterbur. Yeah. B-U-T-T-E-R-B-U-R in the book and in the movie. They just don't mention it in the movie, I don't think. Um, and I looked up, I was like, is Butterbeer a thing before Harry Potter? Is that just like an old world thing? And I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I don't know. So I, it seems very likely to me that 
J.K. Rowling may have di- giving us a nod to the innkeeper, oh, the yeah, barman yeah, in the Lord barman. of the Rings by having butter, a burr, butter, butter beer. beer being a drink in Harry Potter. You know, yeah. I, it seems it seems possible. And also, this is mentioned only in the books and not really in the movies, is that there's this thing called the Black... It's only mentioned once in this book, too. The Black Breath, where mm-hmm. the rates seem to... Or the ring rates seem to be able to, like, make people faint by, like, breathing or, like... Yeah. near them which reminded me a lot of Dementors it was yes. just a couple little things yes. of very obviously overall the ring rates are very rem- which which is not that they're even original remotely it's sort of your traditional uh, Grim Reaper death style mm-hmm. incarnation mm-hmm. of death type of thing it, it yeah but they remind they're very very similar to Dementors yes. in, that, in that regard with the way they kind of so fear and 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 that sort of thing uh, and also the breathing and mm-hmm. making people faint type of thing Oh, there's a little moment in this book that stokes the 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 Sam and Frodo slash fic, and that's after uh, in in Rivendell, Sam runs into the room after Frodo wakes up and uh, strokes his hand. At that moment, there was a knock on the door, and Sam came in. He ran to Frodo and took his left hand awkwardly and shyly. He stroked it gently, and then he blushed and turned hastily away. Like that's. <laughs> Hello, Sam, said Frodo. It's warm, said Sam. Meaning your hand, Mr. Frodo. Now, if you notice, though, in the movie, he does that. He doesn't yeah. turn away, but he runs in and he grabs Frodo's left hand, which yeah. I thought was funny. So this story is like the ultimate my family member left me cursed jewelry story. It is the original. I don't know if it's the original. <laughs> it's not the original, but it's, yeah, definitely the ultimate uh, cursed jewelry story. Um, so one thing we noticed. <laughs> I, felt like a, I felt like a child when I realized this. We're watching the movie, and it gets to the part in there, Lothlorien, after Gandalf dies, and the elves are singing, and this happens in the book as well, uh, a, a lament of Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Sam hears this and then writes a a verse of his own song or Frodo writes his own song and then uh, Sam adds a verse in the movie we just hear Sam's verse in the in the in the movie uh, Sam says the finest rockets ever seen they burst in stars of blue and green or after thunder silver showers came falling like a rain of flowers yes and I was like I looked in my book and I was like well that's not the book it's the finest rockets ever seen they burst in stars of blue green and or after thunder golden showers came falling like a rain of flowers why would they change oh (laughs) was i exact you said that and i just looked at you and And then you went oh "Oh." (laughs) yeah so yeah they change uh golden showers to silver showers they had the forethought that i didn't uh, at least initially uh, until i thought about it for a second um but yeah that that was that was funny yeah um, you know, every time I watch these movies, I am struck yet again by how well the CG and all of the effects truly. hold up. Truly. Um, and I know that it's partly because they did a really good mix of practical oh, yeah. and CG. Yeah. Um, but for the, the time, I still think it's pretty impressive. Wildly. This is 2000 when they were yeah. doing these graphics. This movie came out in 2001. Uh, yeah. It, it looks fantastic. There's a couple that are... Yeah, there, there are moments here and there where it's kind of like, okay, yeah. I can I can tell that it's that's an a older a person tech. in front of a green yeah. screen that, you know, that doesn't look ideal. But, but it, like, by and large, like, and I, I think we mentioned this when we talked about the Sorcerer's Stone, 
which came out like close to around the, the exact same, same time. year. I think, yeah, 2001, the same yeah. year. Um, but in the Sorcerer's Stone, there are definite moments where you yeah. can see like whole holy that green did not screen. Hold up quite nearly as well. Yeah, this one because there's even moments that like. Yeah, I mean, it's Weta, I think Weta also did the graphic, or did the CG work. I'm not sure who did it. Um, goodness. But yeah, it's it, it's fantastic, um, and it holds up really, really well, other than a couple shots here and there. Yeah. And it is because they do the thing, right, where they blend, mm-hmm. they blend a lot of practical shooting with a little bit of CG, mm-hmm. or and they supplement in ways that really how, it, that's how you do CG well, to where people don't even realize a lot of times how much CG is in movies. Yeah. And they only notice it when it's bad. So yeah. they're always like, CG is ruining movies. It's like, no, it's making a lot of movies really good. You just don't notice a lot of times <laughs> when it is CG. All right. That's it. All right. We're really at, like right at three hours. So this is perfect. You have a it's a time. To say. It's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. Um, I think you you went a little more in depth than I did. I did a little bit. Because you had yours written and then I was like, I'll keep mine short. Yeah. Because um, yours is like a page long. Yeah. So I liked this book a lot more the second time around, um, which is something that you mentioned as well. Um, and it is a breathtaking study in world building. Uh, Middle Earth feels real and it feels old, like yeah. not just lived in, but lived in for generations upon generations upon generations. Now, that being said, I do think that the book has a lot of pacing issues. Um, it takes a long time for things to get rolling. And even when they do, like a lot of the text is eaten up by extended description and histories and asides about various different things. Like I said, world building. Yeah. Now the issue with that, I think, is that it creates a story that's only for a very specific type of reader. If you enjoy dense world building, then you will like this book. If you don't, then you will be bored to tears by almost every chapter. Yeah. And and the movie cuts a lot. That is true. Um, does the movie create a world that's quite as full and rich as the book? Maybe not. Um, but to me, where the movie succeeds is that it conveys the story, themes, and the messages of the book while still doing a pretty dang good job of that world building. Um, it's maybe not as layered as the book is, but Middle Earth still oozes off of the screen. Um, so for those reasons, I have to give it to the movie. I immensely enjoyed my reading of Fellowship this go around, like a lot more than I did the first time 15 years ago. I think it's probably for no small reason because I'm older, I'm more patient, I'm smarter than I was. I think that makes sense. But I also think that my intervening years of watching these films dozens of times has made this made this read through way more interesting for me. I don't feel like I was doing homework trying to remember every name and location and historical event that Gandalf mentioned in the Council of Elrond in case they were important later on. I caught little things here and there that I never would have noticed years ago. Aragorn's song, Pippin becoming Thane, Gandalf's reference to the battle with the necromancer, and Merry literally writing the book on pipeweed. 
<laughs> I also enjoyed the leisurely pace of Tolkien's writing and his underappreciated sense of humor. You get to revel in the world. Middle-earth lives and breathes on the pages, and it's truly a pleasure to take in. On the other hand, this movie puts our main protagonists, Frodo and Aragorn, into sharp relief. Frodo is brave, but slightly less unflappable than he is in the book. He's eager to seek adventure and do his part, but he's not quite as resilient as his book counterpart. He feels more human and more relatable. Aragorn's story switches from someone raised and eager to reclaim the throne to someone who's run from that responsibility his whole life and isn't sure if he can handle it. He sees the failures in his family's past, and he fears repeating them. His journey is more engaging, and it's more relatable. It taps into common fears and doubts that everybody has. I can't really relate to, like, the cocksure Dunedain ranger who's been raised by an elf lord to reclaim his rightful throne. I kind of can relate to a dude who isn't sure if he's ready to take up the responsibility of running the world of men. (laughs) (laughs) While the leisurely pacing of the books works in a book, I think the movie does a terrific job of both capturing elements of the downtime in the book but also condenses events in a way that keeps a movie that is literally already three and a half hours long from being a slog. It has to be one of the most watchable three and a half movies, hour movies ever made. Uh, the score. I haven't even talked about the score. Howard Shore's score for this film is iconic. Every theme is recognizable and perfect. The Hobbit themes are pastoral and warm. The elf themes are mystical and elegant. The men's themes are epic and grand. And the Saruman Isengard theme honestly rivals the Imperial March for awesome bad guy music. There's almost no way to compare these books to the movies. Even though we just spent three hours doing that, uh, there's really almost no way to do it. They do what they are trying to do exceedingly well. Each of them does. But ultimately, I think I have to give this one to the movie. I'm biased. The the Lord of the Rings movies are literally three of my favorite films of all time. They were a formative part of my teenage years. But I really do think they made just incredibly smart changes and adapted Tolkien's masterpiece in just about the best way possible. So we agreed. (sighs) We agreed. I'm sure people won't, some, yeah. but other people will. I People love these movies. And, yes. and even people who've read the books and really like the books, also a lot of them like the movies. They're not as controversial as many adaptations, but yeah. there are elements of them yeah. that are. And I think we did an okay job covering some of those uh, as best as we could, not having read the next two books, because there's obviously important things mm-hmm. that could mm-hmm. change how we feel about how certain things were handled. But we'll get to that when we get to that. As always, you can do us a huge favor and rate, review, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or anywhere else you download our fine podcast. We're available on Spotify and several other podcast catchers, as they're called, I think. Also, you can follow us on all of the social media. We have a Facebook page, a Twitter, an Instagram, a Goodreads, a subreddit. Just look for This Film is Lit on any of those platforms, and you should be able to find us. And finally, Katie... What's our next book? Because it's not Lord of the Rings. We're taking no, a we're break taking, so that we have time to read. Um, but it will be our next episode. We're, we're not episodes. interested in killing ourselves yes. this summer. Uh, a month from now, we will be doing Two Towers. Yes. But we have one intervening episode. Katie, what will that be? 
Um, our intervening episode here will be a short story, um, and this will be our Pride Month oh. episode. Um, we're gonna, Pride yeah, Month. we're gonna do Brokeback Mountain. There you go. Yeah, um, which I'll, I'll t- I want to talk about it more in the prequel. It's maybe not like the best greatest choice. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but it is a short story, which is important because I don't have as much time to read <laughs> working yeah. on the two towers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's available to me quickly. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the movie. I watched it uh, in high school film class or something. I've uh, never seen the movie, so I'm, I'm I remember interested. enjoying it, thinking it was a well-crafted movie. I remember very little about it, and I don't, I don't remember... I remember almost nothing about it, mm-hmm. but I remember liking it when I saw it. So, <laughs> um, so the see. prequel for that will be next week. Yep. And then two weeks from now, we'll have our main episode. Indeed. And then if you're just here for Lord of the Rings, come back in a month. But, <laughs> but until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep, and keep being, being awesome. awesome.